time for Type 40, your Doctor Who podcast from the Spacebook for the Fandom Podcast Network. With me, Dan Hadley, Birmingham's King of the Geeks, designated driver, mouth runner, and semi-professional cable detangler. Certainly that's how it feels at the moment. I can't really complain. I'm the one who tangled them in the first place. I'm materialising, though, here with never less than top draw Doctor Who conversation once again on our free speaking big thinking show for everyone that's whatever decade or century you started watching reading or listening along to those ongoing adventures of our hero Doctor Who we talk about it all on this show and who knows there could even be a few laughs along the way it's Doctor Who podcast day in the 60th anniversary year so come and step into our TARDIS on type 40 Hello, welcome to the show. As we begin year six here of Type 40, the podcast continues to evolve in in how we talk about the greatest TV show of them all and who we talk with and the ways in which we get it into your ears before your very eyes. And uh, yeah, just just like magic, we make wonderful things appear. (laughs) Hello, everybody. And uh, yeah, I can bring in other folks too in an instant in the form of my long-standing co-hosts sarah graham she's here and so is mr simon horton greetings it's wonderful to be here on doc two podcast day how exciting it's very exciting and it actually feels like summer they've got summer weather we're getting it back in fits and starts aren't we and talking about starts we've got somebody who started on the podcast not that long ago with us delighted to bring him in a recent playmate we've got Stephen noonan here too guys hello there hello there greetings hello sarah nice to meet you sarah lovely to meet you too this is exciting brilliant very (laughs) very cool uh, entry there so yeah it's it's uh, the 60th anniversary year of course it is and as doctor who fans we love celebrating well stuff there's always something to celebrate in the average week but yeah this time this is something completely new something completely different and in its very first iteration its first year this is doctor who podcast day everybody and you could i know yes it's (laughs) way you could be wondering what it's all about and where is it all about i'm glad you've asked me that simon because it is it's simply a one day event to celebrate the community and creativity of doctor who podcasting so that's both for the listeners as well as those who make the make the content and what we're doing is we are nodding nodding back to its legacy back to the very first doctor who podcast doctor who pod shock that was it dropped its very first episode on the 9th of august 2005 just a few short weeks after that finale to series one where we saw christopher eccleston regenerate there into into david tennant so that's that's what it's all about and uh, we pointed the way to the future as well too so not just here on type 40 we've come such a long way on this show creatively and in terms of the amount of content that we we brought to people on the show itself but we're celebrating with with conversation as well with the art of conversation because any good podcast that's entirely what it is really it's just a conversation so i thought we could get together have a casual chat about some of this some of that and some of our collective fandoms all to mark doctor who podcast day anybody game for that well i've got you here now so it's a bit tough if you're not (laughs) 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 yeah good stuff good stuff so yeah 
you guys, I mean, particularly you, Sarah, first, mm -hmm. when I look back to, to this whole thing, obviously, you, before we started doing Type 40 here, you were already on another podcast, weren't you? A, re a regular voice on that for a couple of years. I was, yes. I was on uh, Theta Sigma's Doctor Who podcast, um, and that was oh, just after, I think, Capaldi had taken over, so then first couple of series is, um, but yeah, I kind of had to dip my toe into it because I really didn't want to speak on it. I was very self-conscious. So I used to just uh, send comments in and the presenter, Russ, um, he'd read them out and he would be like, oh, this is so good. You need to come on. And eventually he talked me around into into doing it. Um, and yeah, and I just got home. No, there's no like, stopping you. There's no stopping. I'm like, I just love talking about Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> had, you done, had you done any sort of public speaking or anything before then? No, nothing. It would just—it's just this subject that I was just so passionate about, and uh, yeah, I just really wanted to talk about it. Got in front of the mic and the and the complete, webcam. You know, complete novice. <laughs> I didn't even own a webcam before I started doing this, Stephen. I viewed webcams with somewhat suspicion. I thought it was only people who wanted to indulge in quite <laughs> private activities who had webcams. <laughs> well, I, I still don't own a webcam. <laughs> this, this, is actually, this is a borrowed uh, 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 computer this evening because I've had horrible technical problems today. So it's 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 a miracle I'm here, but. <laughs> But I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> Stephen uh, Noonan, walking delay. miracle, everybody. You heard it here first. <laughs> Quasi-miracle. But uh, yeah, no, no. Just a little it's bit a of difficulty. I, I remember when I when I started doing this and when we, we established Type 40 here back in 2018. So the show's just marked its fifth birthday. And I talked to you a little bit about it before, didn't I, Sarah, about what, what I've got planned, what I'd kind of mm -hmm. like to do. And yeah, the show the show was launched. So yeah, we're about to we are embarking on our sixth year now and the very first episode was us preparing for, for series eleven. Such a, a long time ago now. Not that many wow. episodes have actually been screened since then. But yeah, that that was it. That was the very first one. And you came aboard with episode eight, Sarah, where we talked about the Peter Capaldi era. So it had just closed out and it was the episode, yeah, the twelfth night we called it we do like our puns on type 40 always have uh, but then uh, 15 episodes later so when we were starting season two of the show that was when i gave you a buzz wasn't it simon because i've been sharing some of the content and i asked you if you'd like to come on do you remember i do indeed remember and i seem to remember that you were actually quite surprised that i said yes i think you expected yeah. me to say no um and i don't know why but but I don't think you were convinced yeah. that I would actually be up for it. But same as Sarah, I mean, you know, give me half a chance to talk about Doctor Who and you try stopping me. <laughs> <It's a similar laughs> did, you, did you two know each other before, well, Dan and Simon? Yeah, we, Dan and I go back literally to the late 80s. Um, we've known each other forever, Dan, it seems. Um, because what, what was happening was that back in the late 80s, I was running um, a Doctor Who local group in the West Midlands area uh, called The Hoonatics. Um, and Dan used to come along to the, to the monthly meetings. Um, and so I, and I used to organise those, and I loved doing that. Um, but those, we, we finished those sort of in the early 90s. Um, and so ever since then, I've always had this itch that I wanted to scratch to talk about Doctor Who and to do something Doctor Who related. And it's just never happened. So when Dan came along and said to me, would you be interested in doing podcasts immediately? That 
has become the release for me. That's become the, the replacement, as it were, for the meetings that I used to. We used to do these every month, these monthly meetings that I used to organize um, back in the late 80s, early 90s. And so the podcasting was just brilliant because it, it was the replacement for that. So I get to talk about Doc 2 again, like I used to in the late 80s. And so, yeah, Dan and I have known each other since then, which is brilliant. ridiculous. Mm. There we go. It, it was it was a curious thing. I don't know why I thought you wouldn't be interested. I think because you weren't you weren't the biggest fan of the Capaldi era on screen yeah. at the time. Yeah. And obviously, when I when I just sort of read your, your views about any episodes, I thought God, this guy he he's fallen out of love with the show. But as when we got talking, we talked on the phone, didn't we? It became very very clear to me that you you hadn't you hadn't at all and that your feelings about it were about everything concerning Doctor Who were a lot more layered and that you couldn't wait to talk about it either whichever the subject was and you've been so game on this show for the I think that was three years ago then wasn't it or maybe that was four years ago that was four years ago yeah Yeah, because it was was... well well before Covid have you you noticed how we always gauge things now by whether it's pre-Covid or or post-Covid it was a long time before Covid that I started uh, doing these um, yeah. And yeah, just immediately leapt on board. And, and, and so, what it was between the end of Capaldi and the beginning of the Chibnall era is that is that when is that when it all started? Roughly, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah so I put the show I put the show together with uh, my co-creator Norman C. Lau and uh, Kyle Wagner, who's still a producer and, and occasional co-host on the show too. So we put the show together. But once we put out that initial season one. Norm, he moved on to other things. And so he departed. And Kyle said, well, you know, look, I, I still want to put out Type 40, but will you take over and produce the entire thing as well as host it and do all that? So I took a little bit of time away. We closed out season one. We had a couple of months away. And he said, but you're going to have to find people. You're going to have to decide who you're going to have this on to talk to, uh, what you're going to talk about. And uh, he said, pretty much, okay, over to you. <laughs> so I thought, well, who do I know? <laughs> <laughs> Who do I know that loves talking, loves talking about Doctor Who? And that's sort of how it all all came together. But a lot of the evolution of the show, actually, Simon, you know, we're talking about the last four years that we've been doing this together. You've come up with a lot of the ideas or certain things that we've been kicking around. For example, you believed in doing video content, in moving over to video long before I actually, Norman did mention it to me right at the start. But I sort of said, well, I'm only just getting used to doing the vocal stuff. But you were a big believer in video, weren't you? And, and that happened. We yeah. evolved. We moved into video. And, I, and, and you've reminded me now. I completely forgot that the first few podcasts you and I did together, yeah, they were just audio, weren't they? We didn't do, we didn't do video at all. Um, but no, I was from, from day one, I was like, why, why aren't you doing this video-wise? Why, why isn't this going out on YouTube? But the other thing was, I don't know whether you can remember this, Dan, and maybe it was the same with you, Sarah, but some of those mm-hmm. early shows... We literally didn't know what we. I remember the one day you said to me, "Well, look, we were going to we were going to chat today. We we're going to do a podcast today, you and I." But for some reason, whatever it was, the subject matter fell through, and you're like, "Well, should we just not bother doing one then?" And I said, <laughs> "No, let's just do one on time." Yeah, let's just I do remember that. Yeah, you remember, and we were we were very much sort of flying by the seat of our pants, just literally making it up as we went along. Just like, "Oh, well, let's yeah. just do a podcast on that today." There was very little sort of pre-planning. If you know what I mean, we just both, we both got the afternoon free, hadn't we? And I think we yeah. we raided some boxes, got some target books out, and just sort of got them out and started talking about them. And before we knew it, 
90 minutes. Yeah. It was one of the That's best nice. ones we'd done as well with the target because then, you know, it went down the street. Uh, yeah. I got this target book and I can remember that one. And yeah, it was a fantastic. It was idea. fun to do. And it was and it was nice to sort of do those very sort of um, freewheeling uh, sh- kind of shows where we were literally making it up as we went along. We didn't really we didn't we didn't sort of pre think about it. Um, but but it was they were they were always good fun to do. They always have been good fun to do. it's because podcasting is fun and i think we obviously have a huge debt of gratitude to to the guys at doctor who podshock who founded that show back in 2005 so i'm talking about lewis trapani james norton and ken deep and i'm happy to say that they have endorsed completely doctor who podcast day in fact here they are in london catching up that's james norton there on the right with ken deep holding proudly our banner there the emblem for doctor who that's the wrong colored police box (laughs) (laughs) but we'll let them off (laughs) <laughs> Ken was probably looking around for that all day, but it wasn't just the guys from Doctor Who Podshock who were who were there holding our colours. So were so were these characters. Here we've got Katie Manning there on Whoa. the right and Peter Purvis wow. there very proudly displaying the flag. Lovely to see. And I'm not so sure about this character though. He's he's um <laughs> You don't want to trust him, Dan. Somewhat yeah, judgmental. He looks a bit iffy to me. I think I think he'd prefer another day in court with it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I think he would. Do you know who that is? In, indeed, that of course would, we do. Yeah. Do you not? Do you know who that no, is? No, I've no idea. Who is it? It's Michael Chaston. Oh, the Valiar. The Valiar. Oh my God! Of course. St. Ivel Gold. Yes, of course. St. <laughs> <laughs> Ivel well, Gold. Well, there's there's a, there's a blaster in the past, yeah. Steve. Well, yeah. that. Uh, that is that is the Val Yard. I th- I think you'll find, and he yeah he's demanding that we get uh, another day in court adjourned for the time being before he gives his verdict. But Michael Jason, he's a lot keener. Oh, 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 oh now, that's now, that's now what, I recognise yeah. him. I've got a very <laughs> funny story about Michael Jason, but I can I'll I'll tell it another time. <laughs> okay. If it's going to result in court I've action, got, I've got <laughs> two funny I've got two funny stories about Michael Jason. But that's for another day. <laughs> okay. We will remind you. Now you've said it. He's you won't get out of it. He's got an extraordinarily wicked sense of humour, Michael Jason. Very, very funny. But I'll just leave it there for now. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. He's not so, not so sure about that. So, yeah, we've got thank you to, to Michael Jason and Peter Purvis and Katie Manning there. And then we've got more pictures as well there. More endorsements for Doctor Who Podcast Day, which is, is lovely to see. People are are feeling it. They're getting on board. We were talking about evolution, Simon, and the and the move into adopting video because traditionally podcasting is it's an audio yeah. it's an audio thing, isn't it? That that move onto video has happened gradually, and and we do ha- have uh, people like the Joe Rogans of this world, all those big podcasts. They now most of them do have a video, a video content, a video component of some sort that people can watch somewhere but the the cornerstone of it obviously being about conversation it's very much about about the ears and this is where i want to bring you in steve and obviously because you're amongst other things that you do you're a voice artist aren't you so you've got hours and hours probably 10 times the amount of time in front of a mic that we all have even put together so what do you think it is about the audio medium that lends itself so well to um bringing people together like this it's one thing performing and you know the work i've been doing recently is paying tribute to um the primogenitor of this whole thing um and that is uh not a typical acting job of course it's not creating um a human being who'd never existed before 
which is mo what most acting is. But it's still about finding your way into somebody else's personality and a very, very specific person's personality. Somebody we all know so well here and everybody uh, listening today will be. But this podcasting business is a very, very new venture for me. And this is one of the very first sort of experiences I've had of this. And I think I said to you yesterday, Dan, there's no part so difficult as pretending to be yourself, um, which is how this feels. I mean, it's, it's, it's creating a sort of version of yourself which is palatable to, to an audience. So you're constantly <laughs> sort of, you know, editing in your mind what you're going to say, how you're going to come across, how you know what, you know... Um, how to phrase things, how it. to make a point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's, it's not a world I know very well, but of course, um, as a Doctor Who fan over the, over the last few years... Um, I've uh, watched many podcasts, uh, watched some of yours. And what's wonderful about now this technology and that, you know, there were great documentaries um, made in the past, some of the greatest documentaries made in our childhoods, you know, things like um, World at War or Bronowski's yeah. The Center of Man or whatever spring to mind. But they were very, very, very... Um, finite in a way that and they, they were very, very highly wrought and edited to the hills and all the rest of it and had to be put out and had to get ratings. Great thing about this is anybody now can, there's a great democracy about it, isn't it? And there's no limit to the amount of time you can, you can, uh, of the material you put out. You can like, like, you know, you can buy hours and hours of material um, and you can, you, you're in control of this and there's no necessity. Obviously, you want to get views um, and and you want to you, you know it's it's important to to try and become popular, but you you don't have to, um, and and so it's 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 an infinitely sort of capacious medium, isn't it? Um, I know that different people do it for different reasons. People have different creative goals and and hopes for the content that they create, or sites themselves that they want to explore, or or the content, Simon, just as they they do with any other artistic endeavour. Well, I think that, that, that again, to, to echo what Steve's saying, that's the beauty of podcasting is that it just gives you the chance to talk about every little tiny bit of minutiae that you might want to talk about, uh, whatever. There is always somebody out there whose favourite story, for example, is going to be Time Lash. Um, that, that, that they just want to talk about. They just want to talk about Time Lash for a couple of hours. And whereas previously... That was me. <laughs> previously to podcasting, nobody would have wanted to listen to you talking for two hours about Time Lash. Mm. Now, it, it just seems that pretty much anything goes, and you can do, and there's going to be other people out there that also love Time Lash and also want to listen to it. Yeah. Or if you don't, you'll still want to listen to it anyway, and that's the beauty of podcasting. It's very... As I say, to use a word I used a few minutes ago, it is very freewheeling. Uh, anything goes, uh, and that's the beauty of it. I would say. Okay, yeah. Stephen, we need to do a podcast about time loss. <laughs> well, I, do you know, I, I'm, I am, I am actually, I don't think as 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 uh, denigratingly as a lot of people about time loss. And for, I've got some sort of interesting. I, do, I, I, I quite like the twin dilemma. I think you do as well, don't you, Dan? I do. Yeah, spoilers. Yes, so there's look at Simon's face. <laughs> oh, it's the man who likes the war Warriors of the Deep. Well, hey, I love Warriors of the Deep. This is one of the joys of, of fandom, and the only, these are the things that we can only find out about one another through conversation. And, and a podcast is 
just that. You can dress it up however you like. You can broadcast it, drop it in a multitude of places in, in all these different formats, audio, video, and by a hologram eventually, I've, I've no doubt, but it is simply a conversation. Even in the instances where people they make solo podcasts, they literally, it's just them talking into the microphone. It's still a conversation because the idea is that somebody somebody's always listening. Somebody asked me quite recently, why on earth do you do this? I always say, Simon, I was having these conversations anyway. I just record them, put them out there, and there's more of a chance that people who are, never mind if they're interested or not, they may at least understand what I'm talking about, get the references. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, I'm up, I'm up. And, and, and this is where, I mean, again, going back to sort of the late 80s, uh, when I was sort of um, most involved with fandom, uh, we would spend, oh my giddy on there, that, now that on the left-hand side, that is me in 1987. Oh, look at that good-looking fella there. <laughs> <laughs> that is me in 1987 with my Who collection. Now, sadly, all long gone to the oh, great dustbin oh, in the no. sky, I'm afraid. I have oh, none no. of that left anymore, um, sadly. Um, uh, but 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 back in those days, in, in 87, as I say, which is that photo on the left, that's when I would be sitting in the pub just talking to, 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 to well, anybody that would listen, basically, about, about to Doctor Who. And we'd just sit around for hours talking in pubs about the kind of conversations that we now have on podcasts. Um, and so it is just, it, it's merely transferred it. Like you, Dan, I was having those conversations all along where we would debate the, uh, the, 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 the merits of, well, the twin dilemma, for example. Um, <laughs> and, and so those conversations have always been happening within Doctor Who, but podcasts have given them a, a new outlet. Simple as that. And with, obviously, podcasting is, is a way in which you can sort of dig into your own your own mind and really find out if you choose to how, how not not just what you feel about something but why you feel it there's a lot of self-reflection involved because when you when you have to not necessarily account for your views to another person you you have got to at least explain where you're coming from develop those communication skills i found it some um, exposing of certain idiosyncrasies to the way I view this show and my own contrarian nature. I believe everybody's a contrarian to some degree or another, but we're not, supposed so. to, we're not supposed to say that. And not all of it makes sense, but that's okay too. Something else that definitely doesn't make sense is the uh, the continued rise of, of social media, how we can continue to do something for so many hours of the week, which we know is probably bad for us. But but in many respects, social media has got a couple of blessings, and one of which is, is that it can enable you to build friendships with complete strangers, because that's very much how I met you, wasn't it, Sarah? We met in it around was, yeah. 2015, 2016, didn't we? Through social media. It was, yeah. And through, again, through the Peter Capaldi era, wasn't it? it well, yeah, it was. It was, uh, it was 2016, and we were uh, waiting for that trailer of uh, Dr. Mysterio. Yeah. Well, this is it. The, um, the social media aspect is that was my Dr. Who club because, you know, the doctor had just come back. I'd not grown up with who, uh, there were, there's no local groups uh, near me. So I've not had the interaction that you and Dan have had Simon. And uh, so, yeah, so this was my way of being able to connect with other fans. Because uh, a lot of my friends, they're not Doctor Who fans. They're not into, you know, sci-fi or anything like that. Um, I was driving my family up the wall 
um, so yeah, yeah, I needed an outlet. Dragging them to... all over the country, Sarah, dragging I them wasn't... all the motorway to get to various <laughs> locations, maybe. Yes, uh, that's not happening at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have very understanding relatives. Um, but yeah, this, this was brilliant. Um, and then obviously I get to reach out and talk to other people like Simon. I met you, Simon, in mm. the, the Hornetics and... What was really funny was that was we had this really big debate about movie gold because you can't stand him and I love him. I was like, this is why you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I'm uh, saying nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, and then we became uh, amazing friends. So but yeah, that, it's but, just but that, funny. Of course, but that of course is the beauty of Doctor Who that you and I, Sarah, can sort of sit and have completely opposite views. Mm-hmm. And still come out of it, as you say, as, as fantastic friends. Because it, it doesn't matter what matters. It's just talking about what your favourite subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the fun part of it all. It is. Well, indeed. diversity of, of intellectual diversity is as important as all, all, all other sorts of diversity, yeah. I think. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's essential. That's, that's, what, that's what makes life fascinating. If we all thought the same, you know, it would very soon very be boring. very boring. If we all loved Time Lash, just imagine. <laughs> and yeah. anybody out there who thinks that I've been really quite unfair on, on the guys there for springing old haircuts and fashion on them, I, I haven't spared myself. It's been very much the same sort of story for me. This, I've been a Doctor Who fan, of course I have, all my life. And yeah, I met Simon back in the, in the late 80s there when he was running the Hoonatics. And I was a member of several local groups in the in the area we'll come to more on that later on i i don't doubt and here's me at the longleat uh, exhibition there on the left not long before it closed with they'd already had a fire on and i was sporting a haircut which <laughs> that was the curtains the curtains look i think I, looked a little bit... I remember the curtains oh. in the it's a bit jonathan 90s. ross isn't it there it is yeah <laughs> <laughs> it is. more than a little jonathan ross i rocking the double denim as well not many hey, people that's can coming, pull that off. That's coming back, Dan. That's coming back. You is it really? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wondering what that, that Tupperware box is that you brought. Were you going to recreate the Hand of Fear or something? That, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Eldred must live in there, isn't it? Now, the Tupperware, the Tupperware box, if you, you look inside, say. you can see it's half full of water. So what it was is there, there was a leak from the roof of the police box. And so the organisers had put that there to catch stray water. Bless. I was reading recently that that police box at, at Longleat, of which I have the happiest, happiest memories, is a listed building, and so they're not able to pull it down, which really? is why they keep on painting it white and trying to incorporate it into whatever that happens to be at Longleat at the time, because apparently they can't pull it down. So I'm told. I don't know. Wait, I need to investigate that particular little fact. I think that uh, we, we could all end up getting, getting listed status go back to that Tupperware box I've just remembered that the hand went missing during the recording of episode 2 so now we know it? where you stole it didn't you Dan <laughs> you were, yeah, yeah. probably about the age of 3 <laughs> well, yeah. how old you were in 1976 <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was trying to return it to the exhibition there, oh, right, back, in, of course. back in 1998 <laughs> so I know exactly when that uh, when that was too it's the yes yeah, one of those things just stays with your memory because I'd always wanted to go to Longleat. It's it was quite a distance away. Was that yeah. Your first I, visit then, down at that. My first place. and only visit to Longleat. Oh, yeah. Wow! But at least you got there. At least mm-hmm. you got there. 
I got there. I got there in the end. And heaven knows which destination we're heading for as this conversation continues. What we're going to uncover later on, whether we can tease at least one of those Michael Jason stories out of Stephen Noonan. I think um, gonna... Maybe, maybe not. All coming up on our Doctor Who podcast day episode right here. And if you'd like to do some real-time travelling of your own, each and every edition of this show, past, present and future, is just a tap or two away on the device of your choice, only if you know where to look. We're really proud of the playlist full of reviews, previews, interviews, geek outs and deep dives with all our regular panellists and some pretty awesome guests. There's something for every fan. Over at type40.podbean.com, more about that later on, as well as a couple of minutes where we will make contact with that matrix of all knowledge that we call the Fandom Podcast Network for a word about all the other treats for the years on offer from all the other shows over there. Okay, yes, so uh, fluff the pillows. Check your check your settings and your mic, your mouth. Put your feet up if you like. Let's compare some some notes here for Doctor Who podcast day itself. Everybody, what secrets are we going to uncover? Any more collages? Any more fan art? We can find out right now. Yes. So, with the world's longest running, best loved sci-fi and fantasy series marking its sixtieth birthday this year it's undoubtedly a time for celebration and looking to the future as doctor who itself is very much on the threshold isn't it of a, an all-new era a much anticipated all-new era speculation is so much fun this is popular culture after all it's all part of the deal it's not something that just happens in isolation i think we're part of that exchange but so is reflection and reminiscing each of those things are probably the cornerstones of any conversation that may take place whenever the, the time and space coordinates of more than two Doctor Who fans sort of collide. Conversations tend to hit certain beats. But in the, in the breaking heat of chomping our way through the, the nuances of the Blinovich limitation effect or the finer details of unit dating or the events of the last great time war, how often do we stop and consider what brought us here in the first place? Who are we? What would we be without this show? And what is it about this decades-old serial, just for families on a Saturday evening, that has inspired and compelled so much adoration in us? So, yeah, Doctor Who podcast day in the 60th anniversary. It seems a fun time to take a casual roam around, if such a thing exists with Doctor Who fans. Do we have casual chats? It can all seem so desperately serious, can't it? But, yeah, it, this is an ideal opportunity, Simon. Now, I've been a Doctor Who viewer practically all my life, and a fan, I counted myself as a fan just a few short years into that, really. Uh, the series has, with the exception of my own children, brought me more pleasure than literally anything else that I can think of over the decades. And I think anybody who's heard more than one or two episodes of Type 40 may have heard me say that I don't do guilty pleasures. That that goes times 10,000 when it comes to Doctor Who. I'm very proud to be a Doctor Who fan. Are you? Oh, I'm, I'm very proud to be a Doctor Who fan. There was a time when I wasn't proud to be a Doctor Who fan back in back in sort of the late seventies when when I was when I was really just obsessed with the show. It wasn't something that you really 
talked about much. I remember there was one other friend at school who was a Doctor Who fan, and that was it. And if you if you <laughs> dared mention Doctor Who at school, you were probably beaten up around the back of the bike sheds because what you should be into was Star Wars. That was the cool thing to be into. And Doctor Who was just seen as the poor relation. And I just remember being vilified at school with the effects and the put and the and the cardboard spaceships and all that. It it wasn't easy to be a Doctor Who fan. But I know I was hooked literally from from day one. Uh, I just I just remember becoming obsessed I've said many times before, my earliest memory in life is Bok from the Demons when I was four years old, three years old, in fact, three years old. I've got hooked ever since then and, and it's never, it, it, it's, it's left me. I think we all have these periods, don't we, where we sort of fall out of love with Doctor Who a little bit. But it's one of those things you just can't help, just you, you never lose your love for the show, I don't think, however much we might go through periods when it's not our favourite period in the show, but it I will. Think in terms, I think in terms of my life, and I don't know how every, if you've had this experience, Stephen, but what I've found is that obviously it hasn't always been my top priority. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's shifted in terms of what I've had going on personally and professionally and in any one of a number of things. When you've got people that rely on you and things that need, need to get done, sometimes other TV shows and things come along and, and, and get your attention or there's music and other aspects of popular culture. Where If I look at where I am now compared to who I was when I first found the show or when it first found me, what I'm aware of now is that the... The, the Doctor Who side, to me, it's not solely about what's on television anymore. It, it's it's something much more interconnected with, with me as a person. I seem to be informed by it, uh, not just my tastes in TV, but almost in a, in a moral way as well. Interesting. Similar to Simon, I became completely and utterly hypnotized by it, fixated by it, terrified by it, excited by it like nothing else. I think by the time... So let's say by the time we get to Tom Baker's first season, when I'm six, seven, and so you're old, old enough by that point to start following the plots, following it intellectually as well as just seriously um, <laughs> or whatever it is in, in terms of the effect it's having on you. Um before every episode of season 12 there was a tom and jerry cartoon right yeah there was every every there was you know different times in the show there'd be a different show before it basil brush a lot in john john pertwee's time and and a certain unmentionable show at other times now um but um but that that was very very specific memories of of the tom and jerry being on just before doctor Who. and i remember thinking at that age, I thought, I want everything on the TV to be either Doctor Who or a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was it was almost the only sort of live action pro or program with, with actors in it that I really, really gave a S about. And by 1977, when the Who's Doctor Who documentary was made, which I was in hospital unfortunately for my parents taped it off the television and so we've just had talons of wing chiang um i was completely and utterly and probably pathologically obsessed by doctor who by 
the Pertwee years, which had been in my smaller childhood, and the early Tom Baker years, and fascinated and determined to find out. I remember I joined DWAS at that time, Doctor Appreciation Society, and I'd been going around telling everybody that I knew everything there was to know about Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> 1973 Radio Times <laughs> You know, that's 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 really funny, Stephen, because you just remind me of something I used to do at school. I used to challenge people at school. I used to say, ask me any question about Doctor Who. I yeah, yeah. guarantee I'll yeah. be able to give you the yeah. answer to it because I well, thought the same as you. I knew everything exactly. about it. Exactly. Oh, well, of course, I soon discovered that having the Radio Times special was just the tip of an enormous iceberg <laughs> of knowledge. And then there was somebody said this lad called John Murphy on the come and said, "Oh, there's a lad down Prince's Boulevard who's a bit older than us. He's a Doctor Who fan. Gary Andrew Swanich, his name was. He had GAS on his on a cap he had on his head all the time. Yeah, and he remembered. He got he gas remembered, all the time. He remembered, you know, uh, towards the end of Trout and stuff. And he could do Dalek impressions that were pre Roy Skelton. And he was." <laughs> Very, very dismissive of you know things like brain of Morbius. This is a oh, this is really? this is recent stuff. No, 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 no. That's it's nothing on Tomb of the Cybermen or whatever it was, you know. And he had all sorts of arcane knowledge. And then the the well, I think it was what it was called the Doctor Appreciation Society quiz of of nineteen seventy seven had all these questions which were completely and utterly mysterious to me. You know, I mean, and the, so detailed questions I now know the answers to, like in which story does the doctor contradict himself about what to keep in one's pockets, which is the Sontaran experiment. He says, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a mistake to throw things away, always keep hold of everything, etc. But questions like this. And I suddenly realized that I didn't know all the was to know about Doctor Who, but I was determined to find out. What, I, what then, I'm attracted to about that, Stephen, though, is the fact that you were still at primary school age then. Yeah. You're yeah, still junior, very, junior very school, young. Junior school, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I'm thinking about about growing up and about raising children as well, Sarah. You know, when you think about what what kids thrive on, they say that kids thrive on routine. And I do wonder, when Stephen, you, you talk about it was there on a Saturday evening, it was sandwiched between, between Tom and Jerry and other shows. You knew when it was going to be on. And it was always, always there. And mm. I wonder, is the it reason... Was, yeah, for, for the months it was on, yes, absolutely. And it was, when it was off, it was always going to be on next autumn again. Yeah, yeah, it was... We it always was, knew when it was so coming it, around. So yeah. you, you would know when to be in front of the television. You were never in any doubt. And it would very oh. rarely not be there. And children do thrive on routine. And if something mm. is always there, even if it's just there for 20 minutes, it's not a movie or, or, or Starskin Hutch that's on for twice the length of time or something like that. It's knowing it would be there. I think children would... I certainly found that reassuring, and I, I was a, a little a little younger, so I, I don't think I was even aware what I was processing and why I was there. But I think it was it was that routine, and I think this also feeds into this sort of quasi-religious devotion to the show <laughs> that it seems to inspire in us as well, Simon. Well, well, I literally I can still remember when I was pro probably again to the late seventies when I was just obsessed by Tom Baker, and I still remember actually almost having panic attacks thinking. When I'm an adult, will Doctor Who still be on? Because I love it so much. I can't bear the thought of thinking that it will never be on again. I, I, the, the thought of it, of, of that they might, they might not run this for my entire life, was quite horrific to me. And I remember literally worrying 
and thinking about this a lot about will it always be on will doctor who always be on because i love it that much i couldn't bear the thought of life without it and of course the irony of it is here we are i am an adult <laughs> we got there it is still on mm. and, I, and and even better i'm sitting here talking to friends about mm. it that i never saw that coming I mean, you know, Sarah, you, you came into it in the modern era. Did you have the same sort of experience when you joined up to it? Uh, it was different for me because I was already an adult. So I, I was nineteen, twenty when Rose aired. Um, and it was just, oh, this looks cool. I kind of remember a little bit about it because um, I had seen the TV movie. I, I do I have a vivid memory watching that when I was twelve, um, sat with my mum and dad and you know, it was a big deal, it was on the T V. It's about time and Yeah. And I remember watching the Peter Cushing movies because they tended to be either on like at Christmas or like mm -hmm. a bank holiday Monday. It was always James Bond and it was the Peter Cushing movie. So I know I knew of it, you know, I knew what the police box was, I knew Daleks, um, but yeah, it, the revival it, it gripped me, and it was. Um, I would always make time to watch it, um, and then I'd go out, and my friends used to get really irritated with me because like, I can't, I can't go out yet. I need to watch <laughs> Doctor Who, and then I need so to Sarah, watch. Confidential. Do you think it helped? Do you think it helped? Then it got you into the habit. You knew, and and presumably Russell T Davies knew that by having it there again at 7pm every Saturday, that it would inspire that same habitual brand of viewing. You know, you would it would become part of your week weekend routine. Yeah. You'd watch uh, Doctor Who yeah, and you'd go in. And, and that's what it was for those 13 weeks. That, that was my routine on a Saturday. And then what I would do, because I was at university at the time, on the Sunday I would go to my nan's and then I'd watch the repeat on BBC Three and watch it with <laughs> them. <laughs> so you'd got your whole weekend I sort did, of marked yeah. by, a, by a routine. And by doing um, that, if people know, particularly when you're establishing, for all intents and purposes, this was this was a new show, knowing that if people... Oh, what was the title of that show that I saw last Saturday? I'll see if it's on again. Putting something in the same place every single time. It's grassroots television scheduling, isn't it, to expect something mm -hmm. to be there where you found it last time? Because not everybody takes a programme guide or, or the equivalent... In, in the present day, people just think, oh, what was I doing last week? Oh, I'll make a mental note. We all say that, don't we? I'll, I'll make a mental note to catch this or catch that. But, but that, 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 of course, that, again, is the whole thing about uh, Doctor Who in the in the kind of pre-catch-up uh, TV age, uh, certainly for us in the, in the the through, throughout the classic run, uh, up until sort of the late 70s, you either caught it or you didn't. Uh, and if you didn't, it was gone. And there were there were episodes of Doctor Who that I missed that I never ever thought I'd see again. I remember being mortified that I missed the last episode of Horror of Fang Rock because I never got to find out what happened at the end of it. Um, Destiny of the Daleks was the same. I saw that I missed the end of Destiny of the Daleks. Never knew what happened, and I never thought I would know what happened. And okay, you could read the Target book, but it still wasn't the same as, as actually seeing it. And there was something really, you know, I remember I remember crying as a, as a child, knowing that we were going to go away for the weekend and I was going to miss an episode of Doc 2 because it comes back to what you were saying, Dan, about this sort of quasi-religious thing. It, it, there's something about Doctor Who 
that gets into you that is more than just your regular TV program, that, that just really means so much to you. The thought of missing it in those days was just utterly unbearable. And the, and the thought Doctor that... Doctor Who at 5.45, church, 9am, Sunday morning. <laughs> it's the same stuff. But, but interestingly, I can also remember in the, in the sort of... Um, in the uh, Pertwee days, I remember... And this was at the point I was really getting into it. And the thing that was before the Purdue episodes was the was the um, the football results. Um, and I just remember these football results being interminable. They would go on and on and on. And the more they want, went on, the more anxious and nervous I got about the episode that was coming up. The closer we get, the, 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 these football results seem to go on forever. You know, Everton. Yes, I remember three, the feeling. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday. Too, and it would just go on and I on. I longed and on. to reach into the television and turn that biddy printer so it would move that little bit quicker. Correct, but, some, but it, there was something yeah. about that that, that, that gave the, the episode itself this, this huge countdown feeling yeah. Yeah. that we were getting closer and closer, and, and you were willing it to come. And I'm <laughs> sure that part of that actually was then what fed into making me love Doctor Who because it was the anticipation. Mm. And, and and the desire to have the episode coming at me and it was still going through the football results. And I'm sure that was part of what made me love the show, was just the build-up to it somehow. I'm getting the same anxiety feeling now, just you talking about it and talking about oh. the football results. I felt it's true, you, isn't you, it? It was there. I, I, when you hear, you know, West Bromwich Albion 3, Wolverhampton Wanderers, nil. And it goes <laughs> on and on. And you're getting more and more anxious... Or yeah. it could be that. And then there was the music for, for the Look Northwest News, which I would love. I haven't heard since 1974. But I don't know if that if there are any recordings it's recording on YouTube. that exists. I've looked. I've looked and looked and looked for these things. But the, or the last song that Basil Brush would sing at the end of yeah. with Mr. Roy, you know, yeah. and you feel that mounting anxiety. Yeah. And I'd say to my mum, what time is it? And she'd say, it's five o'clock. It's only about five o'clock. You knew it because it was always until late into Tom Baker. It was always sometime between five and six. It was yeah. going to be five fifteen, five twenty-five, forty-five. So you knew that five, you know. And the the the, the football results is about four forty-five, I think. I remember yeah. I could see the clock on the wall and could see it ticking around to whatever <laughs> it was past five, and it was just so thrilling and exciting, like nothing else. Your your, in your right. life. Literally like nothing else in your life. It was exactly, it was exactly like that until you both described it. I'd forgotten how it felt, and I transported back four decades. There there is, you know, as a child, there was nothing that filled me with that degree of of excitement and thrill to the extent where my heart would beat faster. And I still don't know to this day. Was it because I, I was? frightened of the program which i was frightened in those days or was it just the sheer thrill that i loved doctor who that much that i it was just ecstasy for 25 minutes each week just sheer sheer ecstasy and there's nothing in my life that has thrilled me in the same way i think there's, there's no high like being being frightened you know i mean you you was i'm you know thinking back now uh to like you know the the very first you know when the sea devils episode two when i didn't know it was real or not i mean mum remembers she was trying to explain to me that it wasn't real 
And she, because she loved horror and sci-fi things, so she was sort of an ally. And she'd sort of, she'd, she would describe, she did this amazing ability to almost do, um, what do you call, uh, um, um, uh, when, when people uh, who make films, storyboarding. She could describe, yes. she could storyboard, she would, she would um, give me the whole sort of scene by scene breakdown almost of the 1950s fly. You know the the yeah. the, the, the mm. first one, or Rear Window, or Psycho, and so she knew why I liked Doctor because she had a similar sort of sensibility, and explaining to me it wasn't real. But there's that sort of interface when you're that young, and we were very young, three and four, mm. when you don't know it's not real quite yeah. yet. Oh, absolutely. And, and it is, and you can understand. You know, in their defence, people like Mary Whitehouse or Nigel Neal himself saying. Is this a responsible thing to do to present present <laughs> something so extraordinarily vividly horrific to children over their fish fingers on a Saturday tea time? You know, but Sarah must have a different, completely different experience because you, as an adult, as you say, as an adult, yeah. and so you didn't have that visceral fear that we had as kids. So, what was it about it that you fell in love with? Uh, the, I think Rose had a lot to do with it because we were seeing it from her perspective and uh, you know she's just an ordinary girl working in the shop very average life I think we can all relate to that um, and then suddenly she gets presented with this mystery and uh, yeah it was the mystery of the doctor who is this person what's he doing what's going off and um, yeah, I was just absolutely enthralled by it. And uh, when she first gets asked to go and she says, no, uh, what are you doing, Rose? Why are you saying no? <laughs> and when she goes running into that, into those doors, you, you know, you, you was with her and I just couldn't wait until the next episode. Um, yeah, it, it was exciting. It was an adventure. And yeah, there, there, I don't think there was anything really on TV like it possibly no. and there was there was Buffy around but you know that's a different genre well, this is a conversation that I had with a friend yeah. of mine who was watching he'd been anticipating <laughs> looking forward to the certain failure of New Doctor Who in 2005 I was there I was quite cautiously optimistic throughout 2004 the previous year and he'd been watching me this this guy that I used to used to work with and he'd been watching me get more and more excited and my guard coming down of the writers of Paul Cornell, Mark Gates, all these people who are good writers, Rob Ship, all these people. And so I thought, God, it's really happening. This is, this could be, this could be. But he was there going, this is going to fail. This is going to be so funny because this is going to fail. Oh, it's going to fall flat on its face. And, and the fact that it didn't and the fact that it, that it took off and that it reached people, it wound him up. So, so much. Oh, really? Even, even he, in the end, had to back down and admit he'd been totally seduced by it. And I was thinking about this. I, I do think it's because they put it there and they left it there. I think if that, and it's the same. I think having that faith, seeing it work in the sixties and the seventies. Obviously, they they got cold feet, didn't they, in the eighties? They moved it around. But seeing yeah. it work in the sixties throughout the seventies. They could have quite easily, with new Doctor Who, have put it on for a couple of weeks and thought, oh, might be struggling a little bit. Let's let's do what Russell feared they might do and bump it till midnight on a Friday night. But mm. they didn't. They kept it. They kept it there. 
And I think that when we look at TV scheduling, uh, you've got to leave things in a particular place for several months, give them time to build that audience. We've talked before, Simon, haven't we, about TV scheduling and about the, the nature of habitual TV watching. The soaps are in people's homes three, four, sometimes five times a week. And people, undoubtedly, there are people who do look forward, look forward to watching the soap. They, they've been at work all day or they've been with the kids, they've cooked the tea, they've put the kids to bed, they, they make a hot drink. This is time for me now. They hear the theme tune to Corey coming on and they want to be in their spot at that time. And, and it's, it's habitual in the same respect. But do they get that same level of anticipation? No. I don't, I don't see it somehow. I've known yeah. lots of people who love those kinds of shows and, and dramas and all those things that, that do some more visceral programs, compelling stuff that, that captures people in a moment. Things like Broadchurch had its moment, Downton had its moment, all those things. And yet they're still... They still, they haven't got that compulsion with Doctor Who. I know we're talking about children, but before when we talked about your growing up in the, in the 70s, Stephen, but I honestly, I see that, I recognise that in the adult me in the noughties. Mm -hmm. And I have to be honest, even right the way through, <laughs> through the Moffat era, I, I still see that, see that in me. But you've described it to me, Simon, in the past as it's because people don't watch Doctor Who in a passive way. Yes. I, I genuinely believe that. As I said, there's something with Doctor Who that just gets under your skin. And I know it does happen with other genre stuff as well. It, tend, it does, just doesn't happen with EastEnders or Coronation Street. Yeah. So it doesn't. But it does clearly happen with genre stuff, Star Wars, Star Trek, whatever. But Doctor Who does seem particularly effective at getting under people's skins to the extent where it, more people than not seem to want to have more of an active participation in Doctor Who rather than just a passive sitting there and watching it and letting them wash over. Of course, there are, the, the, the majority of the audience is going to just sit and, and, and it's going to wash over them. But Doctor Who just does seem to be particularly effective at, at, at getting people to want to have an active participation in it, be it joining a local group, making models, drawing pictures, writing stories, making your own videos, doing your own artwork. It just seems to be, and, and also I think part of the reason for that is because of the creative place from which the show comes from. Mm. Um, Doctor Who is quite unique on television because of its creative standpoint. Much as we might love Star Trek, Star Wars, whatever, they tend to come from more static, for want of a better word, starting points. Whereas Doctor Who, because of, it, of, of its nature, how it is, it's so out there, it's so loose a concept, it can be anything to anybody. Is it because those shows and those intellectual properties have, have nearly always, they've, they've been on not necessarily tight budgets, but they've been on very clear budgets. They, they've got their limits, they've got their parameters. Whereas uh, Doctor Who, uh, particularly on the classic show, but I think this did continue into New Who, they had lots of lots of audacity, lots of resourcefulness, and lots of passion. And all three of those things in the mix sort of coalesce to produce these wild results, sometimes wildly varying results. But, and if it's not, if it's not the show, I mean, we talk about creativity quite a lot, how creative Doctor Who fans are, that's undoubtedly true. And that the show appeals to the creative community. A lot of people 
want to go and work on it, either star in it or work on it behind the scenes. It, it, it draws that out of people. How many special effects people? How many composers? It, the list is as long as your arm. So there, there is that. But I do, I do wonder, there's a flip side to it all. Maybe it's not the show that's magical. Maybe it's just the fact that we, the fans, are a very particular kind of person. So do you think, do you wonder, should we conclude, Stephen, that the, the average Doctor Who fan of any age probably fits a certain mould? I don't know about that. I mean, I think, I think there was, when I was a child... Um, the seemed the people I knew who were Doctor Who fans seemed to be similar sorts of, and it was usually lads. I have to say at that time, yeah. And the and the phenomenon, um, I mean, you know, there were nobody loathed Doctor Who more than Mary Whitehouse and my grandmother, <laughs> for instance, and 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 the two girls around the corner, Gillian and Helen Mason. He used to call it Doctor Pooh, you know. Um, uh, but there was a certain sort of lad like me who didn't like football. Yes, that's <laughs> it. Just uh, spot uh, on. Um, who was, you know, um, somewhat sort of artistic, introspective, probably, possibly a little bit strange. Um, you know, an eccentric child. Mm. Yes, one hundred. You know, uh, and and we would get ridiculed as, as Simon Simon has alluded to. You know. Uh, you'd, uh, well, to quote William Hartnell in, in the Radio Times, I was laughed at and mocked for my faith in Doctor Who. Well, so many of us were yeah. uh, as children, as it became less and less cool as the Star Wars is, uh, etc., came along. Or we became teenagers and it was regarded as something that you should uh, damn well have grown out of a few but, years before. But I can't, help, I can't help wondering, is it, you know, I think about it now, was I bullied because I liked Doctor Who? Or did I like Doctor Who because I was bullied? And actually, there's, there's a bit of both in there, I think. I did like Doctor Who. I, I honestly believe that, that you know, I, I, at school I was definitely an outsider. I was bullied. I wasn't popular. Nobody liked me. I didn't have any friends. I was a loner and I was strange. You're right, absolutely, all of those things. And I think I saw a kinship then within the programme itself because the, the programme is it's about a loner, it's about a strange mm. loner, mm. it's about strange things. And I somehow I genuinely do think that I saw some sort, subconsciously, of course, at, the, at that age, I saw something of myself in the show and I think I found some sort of solace in this strange world for half an hour once a week where I suddenly felt a bit more at home uh, and a bit more where I belonged. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas I'd been bullied through through school for the, for the rest of the week, for the preceding week. I do think I fell in love with Doc 2 partially because I, I was unpopular at school and, and, and it appealed to me somehow. I was always very fortunate and there was always one other boy in my class I would who was who was similar to me and liked Doctor Who in the same way as I did. First one was Jonathan O'Brien, Nicholas Wood, Matthew O'Shea. There was Andrew Stubbing. There was it was it was bizarre. It was like that that we'd sort of been sent for each other, you know. Um and I'd have my my sort of um Doctor Who, you know, soulmates each time. Um because I was sort of 
tended to be there was a kind of there was a strange kind of tolerance of eccentricity in the part of Merseyside I was in there was the, I do and and, it, and in our school and also because I you I, I mean it's a, it's a, it's often been said isn't it people who can do sort of put on voices and everything they they get a sort of pass card by be, for, by being funny so there was a there was a source of eccentricity <laughs> which I used to play which I'd get away with you know but of course it would be dangerous at times and it's very dangerous on Merseyside to declare your uh, aversion to football you can be stoned in certain parts of, uh, of liverpool for, <laughs> for, for, for admitting to 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 not a, no affiliation to any any team at all you know um but um you know yeah it was it was i think it's it's it, it was at that time a program for eccentric weirdos male, male, male eccentric children <laughs> then there was a phenomenon i noticed there was a woman who used to come round to collect my grandmother's insurance. I know no idea how this worked anyway, but that was that was what I was told. She came, she came round she, to collect some money, and I was doing this was 1984, and I was doing some Doctor Who ink drawings on the dining room table, and they were it was a picture of John Percy as a, as a matter. I'm going upstairs. I'll show you another time. Um, and uh, and she went, oh, she said, what's that? And I said, uh, I said, oh, it's a Doctor Who. Oh, she said, I love Doctor Who. I went, what? This is 1984. I go, really? She goes, yes. She said, uh, well, but you see, I did like him in All Creatures Great and Small. And then, of course, I thought, oh, of course. Yes. It's Tristan Farnham that you like. like. And now he's in Doctor Who. And there's a conduit for... A lady like you to find Doctor Interesting, and this is, of course, the genius of Russell T. Davis in 2005 to open up the doors to people like that, to 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 to, to people who are interested in soap operas, people that people are, you know, because Doctor Who, we never did, we never found out anything about Sarah Jane Smith apart from she had this this virologist aunt or the uncle of Joe Grant. We never met these people, did we? <laughs> for the first time, Russell D. Davis has the canny notion of making it accessible to all the huge demographic that had never, ever taken an interest in it before by introducing us to the companions, family, mother, boyfriend, and, and basically making it half EastEnders, half science fiction, science fantasy. And it's done. It, it was genius. I remember watching it going, Oh my God! This is this is this is this is an epiphany, and and seeing these audience members sort of coming on board for the very first all time. It, all it really Doing needed things. to do that was a certain measure of of human interest drama. Just mm -hmm. just stepping into that world a little bit more. Amazing. I believe it never really went kitchen sink. It was just enough. Absolutely just enough to to, to get a whole new audience who'd never taken it like Nick Briggs's mother who did everything in her power when he was a child to stop him watching it she watched Rose, about that yeah. she watched yeah. Rose and she said oh this is the sort of program I think I could watch yeah you know really and that's wow. how clever that's how clever Davis was in 2005 yeah yeah well yeah it definitely worked We'll have, to, we'll have to get Nick on for a chat at some point. I mean, if it's true that Doctor Who does appeal to the the outsiders and the slightly slightly strange people, 
what happens when the outsiders because I think this this has happened certainly since the Russell T Davis era I don't think it's necessarily the Russell T Davis effect I think it's a combination of things but what happens when the outsiders become the insiders Sarah of their own community because we may live in the the social media age now where we can connect with people who share practically any interest hobby or practice we can connect with them instantly can't we has that made us lazy or is it or is it a good thing i don't know because back then when when we were kids when i, I think back to when simon was establishing the hunatics and we were making connections you, know, you make connections with, with other people the lack of broadband there or uh, or having phones in our pockets, or even driving licenses of our own, that never stayed an obstacle for very long for any Doctor Who fan who, who really wanted to make contact with another one, Simon. It's, we found ways, didn't we? Didn't we? Do, do you remember then, if you said that you were, you were bullied at school and all those things, when was the first time that you actually met another, another Doctor Who fan? Uh, I, I can remember it distinctly. The first time I ever met another Doctor Who fan undoubtedly was at Longleat in 1983 at the celebration. It's as simple as that. In the okay, I had had the odd friend at school who kind of liked Doctor Who mm. the same to me, mm. but it was but it was definitely Longleat 1983 was just a complete epiphany for me because. I, you know, I can remember them uh, advertising the tickets for sale at, at the end of one of the episodes, probably Ark of Infinity, Snake Dance, something like that. Um, and and that in itself was was a moment of epiphany for me because unlike Stephen, I had never heard of the Doctor Who Appreciation Society. Um, I didn't know it existed. Didn't know conventions happened. And so suddenly, there's this big event, this weekend that's going to happen, and I couldn't get in my head what was. I, I genuinely thought. I would be the only person there before I went. I genuinely thought, well, I mean, there's, there's going to be nobody there apart from, you know, maybe two or three really sad people who, who you know. That's and, what BBC so, Enterprises thought as well, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. That's the mistake the BBC Enterprises made. And so, yeah, yeah absolutely. So to just yeah. to get there and find literally thousands of people and in a way it was a brilliant thing because suddenly i discovered i wasn't alone and i actually felt like i could belong to a group but secondly on the other hand it was something of a bit of a disappointment because i'd gone along in this in this naivety of thinking i am the world's only doctor who fan um, and so I'm very important in some way, suddenly discovering that I wasn't at all important. There were thousands of us. So it was a double-edged sword for me in, uh, as a 15-year-old as a at that time. It's funny you should say that because I remember watching the television in 1985 and I think it was something on Children's BBC. An announcer said, uh, you know, if, you, if you're a Doctor Who fan out there, then uh, Colin Baker, he'll be appearing on Saturday Superstore and he'll be there with his companion Nicola Bryant to take your phone calls. And I thought, well, I'm the only Doctor Who fan in the world, it seems, so I'll get straight through. I didn't, there'd be, I didn't think there'd be a problem. So there I was, Saturday, and I looked forward to it for two days, I think it was, and Saturday arrived and I tried phoning Saturday Superstore 0818118055. Blimey, I still remember the number. Yeah. I was phoning <laughs> it. Yes. Thinking, why am I not getting through, Stephen? Because I'm the only Doctor Who fan I know. There can't be anybody else. In the and of course, they were they were booked solid there with callers, wow. including Ian O'Brien, who's been on the show. He got on that. Did he? First of October, 1976. I had exactly the same experience trying to ring Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen that morning. 
On, uh, convinced I was going to get through. Oh one eight double one eight oh five five. We all know the number. You know, surely Noel Edmonds is going to be picked up any minute now. I was astonished. I was appalled. You know. Um, <laughs> You're feeling it there. You're feeling it. Feeling it. And, and, then, and then a few weeks later, Louise Sl- uh, Louise Jameson couldn't get through. Yeah, to I tried, I've been to oh get my god! I've, I've just remembered. Jameson, I've just remembered <laughs> boasting to my friends at school on Friday that I was going to speak to Colin Baker that Saturday as well. Really? <laughs> I was fair. I was oh. only ten. <laughs> but Sarah, it's strange. But it's different for you because it just it was is. hugely popular in two thousand and five. It was just enormous. You must have been aware that you were one of many, many, many fans in the way that we weren't aware well, of that. Yes, I know. Lots of people watched it, but it didn't feel like anybody really cared about it as much okay. as I did. Because I never stopped going on about it, and then. Um, that summer, there was a Doctor exhibition at Brighton on Brighton Pier, yeah, and they'd got the costumes. And I went, I uh, took my little nephew with me, and uh, and it was just incredible. Like, wow, you know, there's all these people it's who love it just like me. And then they've got the merch, and obviously there wasn't a lot of merch at that time for New Who. Um, but, you know, they've got everything else. There were books, there were DVDs. And I was just overwhelmed by what was there. I didn't have a clue on this wonderful man, and I wish I knew um, what his name was. This lovely gentleman took pity on me, <laughs> and he started asking me about, oh, you know, what what stories did you enjoy? Um, and I said, you know, the the Autons one and Dalek and Parting of the Ways, and we went through and he selected Terror of the Autons and Remembrance of the Daleks and. That's how I got into Classic Who, and he was so lovely, and we were talking for ages, and it was just, you know, wow, no person, come, come <laughs> join, come join Doctor Who. Bonding. Yeah. It, it is fantastic. funny, it is funny, isn't it, where you where you have that clear memory of meeting a Who fan for the first time. Funnily enough, I mean, I can remember at, at going back to Longleat '83. I remember talking for hours on a similar level, Sarah, to somebody, I'm sure her name was Eileen, but I can't really remember. And again, I've forever regretted why, back nowadays you just connect with them on Facebook on your phone mm-hmm. straight away. But I don't know where she is now. I remember her sharing her, her cheese and onion sandwiches with me while we were waiting for, <laughs> for Tom Baker to come out on stage. And we talked and talked and talked and, and, and it was just brilliant. You're right, Sarah, to sort of, find that you can actually connect with people um, and, and find a like mind, find kindred spirits. It's as simple as that. How about you, Stephen? Did, when did you meet a, another card-carrying Doctor Who fan, whether they were a well, member of the Appreciation yeah. Society or not? Well, well, you know, there was another kid, Jonathan O'Brien, who was in... I was in Miss McNeilis's class. He was in Mrs Kelly's class, and he was a very naughty boy. And he'd, he'd actually um, accused Mrs. Callender, the headmistress, of being a terrible pianist publicly in the middle of assembly, at the end of assembly. And she was. <laughs> she was like Les Dawson, you know, um, but, you know, but, but not, not for comedy purposes. She just, she just couldn't play. And he, and, he, and he sort of, and so he was known as somebody um, who was sort of uh, a bit of a ne'er-do-well. But I discovered, somebody said, oh, he likes Doctor Who as well. And he had a copy of the Radio Times 1973, which which was this is round about you know season eleven time, sort of time warrior 
uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs Death to the Dinosaurs. And he had it in the... I remember having it in the playground. And all these other kids crowded around him. And I was trying to get to see it. I remember looking over his shoulder. I remember the, the page it was on was the page of a photograph of, of um, Annika Wills and M Michael Craze being chased by Cybermen. And that was... I remember looking over and going, oh, oh. Uh, <laughs> it was just <laughs> like he got the, the Holy Grail there, yeah. you know. Um, and then, you know, cut along story. This is a long, long time. We became friends. Um, and became inseparable friends. And he was like a very strange child like I was, but he knew about all sorts of other things. Like he knew about gothic horror. He knew about, and he had an older brother, Mark, who let him stay up and watch, you know, the late night horror films. So he had all sorts of knowledge about mm -hmm. Hammer Horror and Universal Horror Films and, 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 and other areas, you know, which all sort of was feeding in, of course. And then we, we, we left that school and went on to the same uh, junior school, Red Court, which is a wonderful gothic folly. At the time of the early Hinchcliffe story, the Hinchcliffe stories were in this extraordinary um, Victorian building, which which was rather like the old Priory or Chase's Mansion. You know, I'll, I'll show you a photo of that place. But um, and so you know, it was it was just one of the he he had this. He was allowed to. I, I, he was telling me about these films that were on late at night. Um, and that the program at that time, of course, as we all know, was dealing with gothic horror, and and this was this was sort of branching in my, in, in my sort of reading. There was a book called the Beaver Book of Horror um, by Daniel Farson, which 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 introduced all these other things at the same time as Doctor Who was doing Pyramids of Mars, and then you know Talons of Wang Chang. I think so. Well, so, so so was this you know. Um, so it was me and Jonathan O'Brien, these two weird kids, but sort of tolerated by other kids. Um, but uh, and then and then you know it's a long story. But that's 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 that he's my first Doctor Who fan friend, you know, from the ages of five, six, seven, eight. I think I once found a piece of liter literature in a, in a hedge once. I think it was called the Horror Book of Beaver. That's funny, bit of a coincidence. But, <laughs> oh God! Oh, oh. But um. Yeah. <laughs> When I when I look back on my own childhood, I can cut that bit out later on. <laughs> when I look when I look back at my own childhood, and I think about because I wasn't I wasn't bullied at school, uh, not for certainly not for being a Doctor Who fan. I got off really quite lightly. I I, I did have some slight ribbing for it. And there were people in my class at primary school who did like Doctor Who, and I did sort of latch onto them a little. And they, I loved it. They liked it. And I tried to sort of promote the same sort of love in them. But it never bloomed. It never blossomed. And then the show sort of hit the skids and fell out of favour with, favor with the BBC. And then it became open season on Doctor Who, didn't it, in the mid-'80s. And then nobody really wanted to know about it. And so I first met a proper other Doctor Who fan. Funny enough through my German teacher at school. Now, I'm aware how bad that sounds. <laughs> but, it was, yeah, it was quite innocent, I promise. So my German teacher at school, she got a son who was just a year or two younger than me. And it just turned out that he was also a Doctor Who fan, a massive fan of, of Colin Baker and all this sort of thing. And he really wanted to go to a convention, go to a local group and to try all that kind of thing. I'd never been to anything like that at all because I didn't know any of the Doctor Who fans either. And so we did that thing where her son wrote me sort of pen pal letter. Wow. Which, who's your favorite uh, doctor? Which yeah. stories, which videos really? have you got? Yeah. All that kind of thing. And so it, it was the old pen pal thing. So rather than being at the other end of the country or in another country, it was somebody who actually lived in a neighboring town. 
And uh, yes, my, my teacher, my German teacher's son, and we connected. We went to an event in Stourbridge. It was the first the first meeting of a club called the SRS. So it was uh, all the, all the logos and all the books, all the, the fanzines were all geared towards the story Robot Simon, if you remember. Yeah, I do remember the SRS. They had a fanzine called Think Tank. Yeah, I remember. I little, were were, were you actually a quasi-fascist organisation? <laughs> it does sound like it. Well, the thing is, I hadn't seen Robot at that time, bear in mind, because it wasn't out on video until 91, I think that one came yeah. out. So I actually had no idea what any of this stuff was. Well, the but the, yeah. the guy who used to do, who used to sort of host it, he wore, he used to wear a very severe roll neck jumper and a tweed <laughs> jacket. And he, had, he got a very sinister very sinister bowl cut. I'm talking about the late <laughs> 80s here. Bowl cuts, did, bowl cuts came back into fashion 10 years later. In 89, this looked really odd, this guy. I'm sure he was a lovely fella. If you're out there, Richard, I'm sure I'm sure he's going to have a lot of success. But back then, yeah, I thought, well, is this really what other Doctor Who fans are like? But I met people at those events. There were some lovely people there. There, there were some curious souls with the benefit of hindsight. But it was through people I met there that others said to me uh, well have you tried there are other groups out there too that get a lot more attendance and break up the time because the SRS they would sometimes disappear for a, a couple of months and you were never really sure when the next meeting was going to be and I got told about this thing called the Hunatics in Warsaw which is where that fella comes in him down there <laughs> so that's how it happened that's very much how it happened for me and then I got very embroiled in it I started drawing for fanzines meeting people going to I continued going to SRS until that that wound down really quite quickly I continued going to Simon's meetings at the Hunatics and some more, that, and I started to go co to conventions. And so I, I got to meet people and work alongside people on fanzines. Toby Haydoke was on the one the one fanzine yeah. that I was on. He was a writer. I was an artist on it. Pete Warbank, I met Pete when he was a young, struggling artist uh, through the Hunatics, Simon. So I remember him flipping yeah. through his giant portfolio and showing us how he was, he was trying to get a break. Uh, so, yeah, all those people and some of which have popped pop out the woodwork now. Just the other day, I've sent a friend request by somebody who was a lunatic. I haven't, but they found found me through this show. I thought, oh, it's oh. him, it's that guy. You know, it's of course, of course I connect with I haven't actually spoken to you for 30-odd years, but yeah, yeah, Doesn't it's <laughs> Doctor Who fan. It's a it's great language. word, lunatic. Who coined the word lunatic? Hmm. Uh, yeah, 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 that will be me. That will yeah. be me. It's a wonderful word. It's a much yeah. better word than Hoovian, I have to say. Oh, yeah, I've, I've never been a Hoovian. I, no, I, I, no. I, 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 I think Hoovians were around at the time because Hoovians sort of came around about the mid eighties. It I came recall. from the the um, uh, a particular American uh, spirit of tranquil, light. It? it was the yeah, spirit right, of light yeah. conventions, as I yeah. recall. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that sort of first coined the words, and it's always oh. and this is no disrespect whatsoever to Americans. I love America, but it sounds very American. Um, mm. Simple as that. It just sounds like an American word. And so um, I just decided, no, I wasn't a Hoovian. I was going to be, and I can't remember where the word came from, to be honest. I don't know how it came up with Hoonatic. But for years, people people would always pronounce it wrong. People always just think it was Hoonatic, as in fanatic. I did. Yeah. No, no, no. It's Hoonatic, as in lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> affirmative, um, affirmative. Great day, Simon. I, I still, I'm really, really grateful to everybody who organised those and sort of got me involved and gave me the push as well because I was quite shy at the time too. And I, I thought that you had to have a scarf to go to these things, so I didn't have one. Oh, I you didn't did. have one anyway. 
But you did have to have a carrier bag with your sandwiches in. You definitely had to have a carrier bag. <laughs> oh, and like like Dwayne Dibley. It was a Dwayne like, Dibley well, thing. I did have one of <laughs> those. I accessorised in the in the time honoured way. I do did. You I, did. I, I mean, do you remember? You literally. It, 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 you, sometimes you, you, it might, you, you'd be really cool if you had the HMV carrier bag. Um, <laughs> you would. You'd be cool if you had an HMV. Most people would have W. H. Smiths or John Menzies, and the real saddos would have Marks and Spencers or Sainsburys. Those you, you were judged by your carrier bag. I'm not kidding you, Sarah. Mine, this is true. This is it's true. absolutely true because mine was from the Quick <laughs> Save. Oh, oh, <laughs> is, well, you, that was only the lowest of the low. I'm going to try and gloss over it though because it is it is time time to break it up for a couple of minutes now. Quite literally, as we connect with our mate Kev, he's primed as always to bring you the lowdown on the downloads and streams available from all the other podcasts across the fandom podcast network simon Stephen, sarah and myself will be back in a mo thank you for listening we hope you're enjoying this podcast here are the other great shows on the fandom podcast network Culture Clash, where we discuss the latest in entertainment and pop culture. Blood of Kings, our show covering the entire Highlander universe. Couch Potato Theater, we celebrate our favorite movies. And Time Warp, our fandom flashback show discussing a year in movies and our favorite retro movie, TV, and pop culture topics. Good evening, discussing all things Alfred Hitchcock. Hair Metal Podcast, we cover the rock metal music of the 80s and early 90s. Type 40, a Doctor Who podcast, discussing the time-traveling Doctor Who universe. Lethal Mullet, an action film podcast, covering the 80s, 90s, and beyond. Also, check out the Lethal Mullet Network for more great podcasts. What a Piece of Junk, our Star Wars podcast. Making Treks, a Star Trek podcast, with a deep dive into the final frontier. The Fandom Show, our Fandom Podcast Network live YouTube show discussing the hottest topics in fandom. The True Believers MCU podcast, discussing the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universe. Union Federation, our Star Trek and the Orville show. And we're proud to welcome the BQN Network to the Fandom Podcast Network. Please visit our friends on the BQN Network, a Star Trek Universe podcast that also includes your favorite topics, movies, history, superheroes, and more. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on YouTube. The Fandom Podcast Network is also on all major podcast platforms. Fandom Podcast Network audio master feed is on Podbean at fpnet.podbean.com. You can find the Fandom Podcast Network on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can email us at fandompodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and remember, respect others and enjoy your fandom. Yes, we've teased and tantalized you there, and we can even clothe you too. There's merch to match all of those shows, including Type 40. If you head over to tpublic.com, search for the Fandom Podcast Network, and you'll find a store full of all the team colours for all of the shows on everything T-shirts to phone cases and enormous tapestries. Seeing is believing. Treat yourself, treat your other selves. It all goes to support the Fandom Podcast Network into the bargain, so everybody wins. I'm back here with our, our podcast family members here so i've got sarah graham here i've got stephen noonan there and i've got simon horton too and here we are continuing our casual discussion for doctor who podcast day itself now, talking about talking about the tardis talking about talking about the tardis you know, it's one thing 
to uh, to get together and to chat about mutual interests, isn't it? But it's another thing entirely to package those chats and conversations up and offer them out to the world to, to stream or to download. I mean, uh, we could just leave it to that, couldn't we? We could just talk, we could just share, and then and then that's it. I mean, other people's other people's views, they may frustrate us as likely as they are to to delight us. It, mm-hmm. But it can't be denied, can it? You, you said earlier on, Sarah, about that guy that cornered you. He needed to know what you felt about story A, B, and, and C. We're fascinated by other people's opinions. And we, we're unafraid. We, we really want to know. And it's as if whether they say they like something that we don't or vice versa, we want to know anyway, don't we? We do, and it's... Uh... It's a really weird thing because you don't really do it when anything else, but it's not a. Uh, I'm trying to uh, explain it. It's not that. Yeah, well, yeah, we do care, but it's it's like we have to know. It's very important to us that we know. And, to gauge one another, to sort of size yeah, one another and it's up. <laughs> and, and thank God to him because otherwise, you know, I wouldn't have known where to start with Classic Who. But yeah, I love the multi-generational thing. I've never had a bad experience with long-term fans. They've always been welcoming, like, oh, oh you've come in with the revival. Oh, we'll sort you out. Forget about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and now everyone's just so keen to share. And, and I think if you're open and you're interested... Like I was like, I need to know more of this world. I need to know more about this show. And happily, there's plenty of fans that will share. Um, you know, like what you've been talking about today, Stephen and Simon. And you know, when you did your review on Death to the Daleks, you painted this picture of what it was like in that time. And yeah, and I was just soaking it all up. It was absolutely fascinating. And yeah, I just I just love learning about stuff. Did you find, Sarah, did you find uh, it a bit of a culture shock so when you said, you know, uh, Terror of the Autons or Remember mm-hmm. the Titanics or whatever it was, um, how there, there wasn't the soap, in, for want of a better word, aspect in the old show? Did you, did you find that difficult to acclimate? Was it, was it sort of alienating in any way that, you know, that the companions, the companion wasn't the same yeah. sort of conduit Sometimes. as it is in the new show? Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. Terror of the Autons isn't too bad because we get that's the introduction of Joe yeah. anyway. Yeah. And we see somebody um, doing the washing up in that story, don't we? Yeah, um, <laughs> but yeah, it was kind of like, uh, you know, where. In a enormous yeah, everybody, kitchen. don't they notice? Yeah. You know, because, the, yeah, there was obviously the, the entire story about Rose going missing for a whole year. Um, but it didn't take. No, it didn't take that long. And I actually preferred the episodic. Structure and you know I love the cliffhangers and I wish no who had more of them. I do find Mm. the forty-five minutes, you know, it can be a real rush sometimes. Yeah, gallop, isn't it? Yeah, Uh, but yeah, but actually, I mean, the terror of the autons, I found that more terrifying than I did the autons in Rose. Um, well, they, yeah, are. they are. Yeah, yeah I agree. I, I, I mean, I think one of one of the things that I've always loved uh, to when when talking to new Who fans, as in fans who only fell in love with Doctor Who during the New Who years, such as yourself, Sarah, is the fact that we know 
the other stuff that's out there for you guys to go and discover. Um, and I think it's such a shame when that the, there are some new Who fans that just don't buy into the classic series for whatever reason. That's fair enough. It's not a criticism of them. But they just don't get it. And it's, it seems to be such a shame to me that they don't get it because I think if you are a new Who fan and you then discover this whole world that existed beforehand, the, the, the breadth of, of material that you have to explore is just mind-boggling. And I'd love to be in your position where I fell in love with the show and then discovered actually there were nearly 30 years before that that I can go and explore myself now and, and discover anew. Just, I just find it so fascinating. So particularly I'm when, I suppose, Simon, particularly when you're looking at it through something like a modern streaming platform and you see, you know, you go yeah. back, you think, okay, I've started watching with series 13, 12, 10, whenever. I, think, I, I can, I'll start at series one. And yeah. then for somebody to say, well, there's another 26 seasons before that. <laughs> it's just nuts. Where, where do you even begin accessing that sort of stuff? Uh, and some people, I guess, do start right at the very beginning. And some people just dip and in and out and sort of just discover stuff by, by chance as to what they enjoy. Um, and I'm just always fascinated to speak to new Who fans, that, such as yourself, Sarah, that didn't experience the show at the time in the way that we did and what do you you know to, to find out what you make of it now it is I, i'm always endlessly fascinated by what people think of the show that we loved um because it would be so easy to not love it because it is so very very different uh, stephen says to what to what you fell in love with in the first place with new who um, and that again, I think, is one of the reasons why. To go back to your original question, Dan, why, why, why are we fascinated to know what what other people's favourite stories are? Again, I think it also comes back to what I said right at the very top, which is this idea that Doctor Who fans just aren't generally passive. We are. We're interested in what other people think. We want to talk about what we think. It's just it just creates that dialogue for some reason. You know what I've noticed in recent years as well, which I think is actually a really good thing. And I'm not sure if it's due to the influx of a generation's worth of new fans who've actually had the show on for an extended period of time, or whether it's social media and people just able to communicate more. It's kind of what Stephen and I were talking about at the top of the show about the fact that I do I have a lot of time for the twin dilemma and, and all these things because there there was for a really long time a lot of received fan wisdom. Yes. And it yes. wasn't and it wasn't just the little things like, oh, well, the, the gunfighters got the lowest rating and, and this got the highest and, and these were the reasons why. It was it was the it was actually a sort of pecking order yeah. stories uh, which stories you're allowed to appreciate in what order and yeah. in which order and why. And there was very little deviation from that. And if you if you said to another fan, you know, oh, I don't know, actually, I think I prefer, for example, I might prefer Attack of the Cybermen to the Talons of Wang Chai. You could see people just the colour drain from their faces and they sort of edge away ever so slightly. From, you know. And it didn't matter whatever the reasons for that. Yeah. It could be because you grew up at a different time, or you know, you got, maybe you hadn't seen the whole story, the one story in its entirety, or you'd watched it once on a BBC video you'd had for your birthday, and you'd seen the other one over and over. It didn't really matter why you believed what you believed, what your taste, how you'd arrived at your particular tastes. 
there was this kind of, ooh, you know, it was like stepping away from somebody with BO. It was that kind of thing. I think that has lessened a lot in oh, recent years. I think it's all but vanished. I think back in the day, there was an elitism that existed. Um, and there was, there was uh, a, 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 as you say, a received wisdom of what stories were good and what stories were poor. Um, and it, there, there was just an elitism within fandom that dictated that uh, and put that information across and woe betide you if you disagree with it. And to a large extent, I have to be honest, I think it just doesn't exist at all anymore, simply because we've all finally got to see all of those stories, okay, yeah. there are 90-odd episodes that we can't see, but you see what I'm saying. We now have access to all of that material in the way that we didn't have access to it in those days. And so it was easy for people to cast judgment about what was acknowledged to be the best story of all time. Of course it's Tomb of the Cybermen. Um, uh, and then when you actually get to see, you're like, oh, actually, it's not necessarily as good as you think. <laughs> um, and so, so all those, all that elitism was shattered. And so I would go as to say, as far as to say, it's completely gone. I don't think it really exists anymore. The only place I see it occasionally existing is when, and this is very rare, new Who fans will 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 just completely vilify the classic show, and likewise, classic fans will vilify. The, 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 the two post two thousand and five show. That's the only degree of sort of elitism. Yeah, there are there are camps. They do they do exist. Don't they? There are clusters of people that do exist like that on social media. But yeah. they but they sort of have their space and they might chunter under their breath one one about the other. But they've got their community within a community, mm-hmm. and it's not doing any harm either. Of those, they're not actually doing any harm to anybody else, are they? That's how I view it, and I think that. I don't know whether this comes with with age or not, but I'm a lot less precious about my opinions now than I used to be. Just as I'm, I, I take myself a lot less seriously. I can take a, a a long a long look and have a good laugh at my own nature and my connection to the show. I mean, it's, uh, the things that I've done, some of the things I've done in the name of Doctor Who, are patently ridiculous. Of course, some of the things that I've said have been outrageous. <laughs> it's, it's, but I can look back and I can I can laugh and not feel bad about that. But if I if I can do that, then by the same measure. The way I look at it, it's like I say, I don't do guilty pleasures. And I certainly know why I like the things that I like, why I don't. I'm getting somewhere now to where why I haven't responded to things that other people have responded to. Well, why, why I haven't matched that and been quite so favourable. I'm starting to get to that now and, and sort of rethink a lot of that. But at the end, at the end of the day, we like... We like the things that we like. We form connections with the things that, that are there for us, often for our, for our own very subjective and very personal reasons. Does it really matter if somebody else feels completely differently? Who cares what other fans think anyway, I suppose? It doesn't necessarily harm harm your connection to it, your affection for it. And if it does, well, maybe it wasn't that strong, maybe it wasn't that strong in the first place. Yes, on the one hand, that's true. On the other hand, I just, I still... I'm, I'm gutted when when people don't <laughs> love the caves of Androzani as much as I do, for example. <laughs> uh, you know, just and, and there are people who have watched the caves yeah. of Androzani and said, "What were you going on about? It's the most boring Doctor Who story I've ever seen." <gasps> it like, is no. not. Actually, no. now you've said that, I remember on the live show on Type Forty Live after Shah had watched it for the first time, and you were there. What did you think? And I could see you. You were poised. <laughs> Well, it's like you're waiting for your lottery numbers to come up. 
it is difficult, isn't it? When you when you love certain stories as much yeah. as you do, okay, we all accept that obviously people are going to have different tastes. But it's just it's just a bit gutting. It's a bit disappointing when somebody doesn't love your favourite story as much as you love it. Um, you know, I, I, I've I've heard the talents of Wen Chiang being described as boring, and again, I'm, I'm it's just it's I can't take it. <laughs> you know, you but that's know. yeah. But it's a case in point, of course, is 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 that you know we have a disagreement about Genesis of the Daleks, for instance. Yeah, that you, you don't think now. I think. Genesis of the Daleks is 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 not just a great Doctor Who story, but one of the greatest pieces of television ever made. But it doesn't diminish my belief in that to hear mm. you, whose you know opinion I respect and whose intellect is clearly on display for all to see. Doesn't find I I look forward to having that discussion with you about what it is that you know you yeah. don't think is so great about it. But it doesn't it doesn't in any way get in the way. Of my appreciation of it anymore. I think maybe you know do, it do used you, to more. I think. Would but, you feel differently, Stephen? Do you think you would feel differently if if I was just to say no, it's just rubbish? Oh, well, then right. I that, well I, I I know you well enough now to know that 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 you wouldn't be so. No, but, um, but if somebody was to say that, if ah, there, well, if, there are some people whose opinions you you you, you evaluate more highly than others. You know, to to quote Tom Baker, you know, most people on this planet are boneheads, uh, and so <laughs> so if you encounter somebody who's a bonehead, then you go, oh right, okay, mate, fine, you know. Um, and so you know, there are certain opinions that don't affect you because you yeah. know, without wanting to be in any way elitist, but you know, you you know, you know, you can work out whether somebody's got got any nous or not, but if somebody has. And there's, you know, I think one of the most fascinating documentaries made in recent years was the was the film Room Two Three Seven, about yeah. different fans of, of the same thing, The Shining in this yeah. case. And some of them are completely and utterly bizarre and and you know arcane and, and and insane. Some of them, but it's a great case in point of how people can be fans of the same thing, but might as well be fans of something completely different because we are all in a sense, our own species of alien. We're all completely different to everybody else. We're all completely different individuals. We've got, you know, we might be looking at the same painting. You might be seeing something completely and utterly different. And when yeah. we say, don't you love Talented Wang Chiang? We might be, you know, perceiving something completely different about it that, we, that we like about yeah. it, you know. And that's fascinating in itself, isn't it? You know, and, and, um, and I think that's part of again that it's it's the love of Doctor Who in that the stories just do spark those kind of feelings. They yeah. they are they they again. It just comes back to this passivity. It, Doctor Who is not a passive experience. I no. don't think because it does spark thoughts in you. Um, it is going to spark opinions. You are going to love something or or loathe something. Um, the one thing that 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 has always I've always found very very difficult to deal with as a fan is when uh, people uh, and it and it just obviously it tends to be non fans are very dismissive. And we'll just say, well, what you know? Why are you getting so uptight about this? It's just a television program, and I really that really <laughs> rankles me because yeah. no, this is not just a television. We would no. not be sitting here talking about this stuff endlessly if it was just a television program. No, for me, 
this is a way of life. It comes back to your point, Dan, about something quasi-religious. It yeah. is a way of life. It is a massive, massive part of my life. Um, it's by far the biggest part of my life with regards to sort of entertainment, for want of a better word. Um, it's, it, it's No, I'm insulted when somebody says it's yeah. just a television programme. Uh, it came up recently on Twitter, Simon. I know you're not on Twitter. Um, and I always roll out the um, interview with Tom Baker when he says the, the guy in his 30s that came up to him and he was... Yeah in the children's home yeah, and how much that meant. And yeah, in some instances, this, this show is life changing. It got people through, for, you know, it got you through your bullying. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is, it, yeah, it's much more than a TV show. It's almost like a, I don't want to sound too dramatic, but it is almost like a way of life. It it is. Well, I think the phrase yeah. that Dan keeps using quasi religious is a good mm -hmm. one, but it is, it, it yeah. is, it is, I, I, you know, it's 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 a dangerous statement to make, but it it I think it is in its way as important as anything else yes. in my life. It's led to so many other interests, or you know, other books, yeah. other films. Yes. You know, like Talons of Wang Chang itself. You know, that was shown the year before they did a season of the Basil Rathbone um, Sherlock, Sherlock Holmes, Holmes films. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I was introduced to Sherlock Holmes through Talons yeah. of Wang Chang. Mm -hmm. But the morning that Genesis of the Daleks, the first episode was transmitted, I went downstairs and the, the newspaper was down there and I opened it and it said, because I knew the Daleks were going to make They said at the end of Santoran Experiment, open the newspaper. We didn't get the radio times at this point. And it said, Genesis of the Daleks. I ran upstairs. My parents were still in bed. And I woke them up. I said, what does the word Genesis mean? I remember the same yeah. conversation. Yeah. And my dad, who was both a Roman Catholic and a biology teacher, was able to give me both the biblical and the scientific explanation <laughs> yeah. of the word Genesis. Brilliant. But there's just a sort of case in point of yeah. how a six-year-old is yeah. educated. It happened with very that, that, must have, like that, that must have blown your mind, even like, what am I going to watch later yeah, on today? Well, you know, yeah, <laughs> but we're going to get the origin of the, yeah. of, of, of the, of the, <clears throat> the single most important um, creatures in the programme. But of course, the sort of being laughed at and mocked can come, has come in my life from, from some of the most bizarre and surreal sources. And there is, a, there's the, I'll tell you the first half of a quite a long story here. The second half is, is, is probably in its way more fascinating than the first half. I was doing um, a TV series called In Search of Shakespeare, which was presented and written by Michael Wood. We've done a whole series of in search of things in the early 80s, but it was his return to the thing. It's about Shakespeare. The um, artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare Company at the time, Greg Doran, got a number of actors, myself amongst them, to go to locations that Shakespeare had performed in, you know, in, in, in the 16th, early 17th century. And amongst them was Julian Glover. Um, and so I'm going, we're going and we're filming in all these places. I'm on this sort of like tour bus going from one sort of old, you know, coaching into a pub there. There's another actor, Robert Whitelock, who's since written for Big Finish and who I sort of introduced to Doctor Who as something you could be a fan of. So, so he was sort of watching, I was giving, you know, watching VHSs around at my flat. We were, we were good mates because we'd, we'd been working together. Anyway. There's Julian Glover, 
Um, getting to know Julian Glover quite well. Uh, very engaging um, actor and of, of, of some sort of pedigree. And of course, there's particular things on my mind about things he's done that we, we're all <laughs> thinking right now. Exactly. <laughs> However, I'm scary. also thinking, no, no, no. In conversation with Julian, don't go there yet. Let's establish, <laughs> you know, a sort of a, a perhaps a, a more sort of sensible intellectual uh, conversation with Julian. Yeah. So there was a there was a film he'd done called Invasion, nothing to do with the Cybermen or one of the episodes of the Web Planet, um, but or the first episode of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Um, it was about the invasion, the Soviet invasion of, of uh, Czechoslovakia in 1968, and he played Alexander Dubček. And it was brilliant sort of BBC Two film that had been followed up by a documentary in which he, Julian, had interviewed the real Alexander Dubček. I'd seen this relatively recently, and I sort of had this conversation. And he was so enthusiastic to talk about this. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. It was amazing, meeting Dubček and all this. And so, you know, got getting to know Julian, getting on quite well with Julian Glover. Anyway, one afternoon during this uh, long gig we were doing, we're in this in a beautiful summer's day in a beer garden somewhere in Gloucestershire, I think. And I'm on one side, just got some drinks in. And on the other side, I can see Julian Glover and he's sitting with Robert Whitelock, who I mentioned a minute ago. Mm -hmm. And suddenly across this beer garden, packed beer garden, full of actors and other members of the public, Julian suddenly shouts over, Oi, Noonan, I thought you were an intelligent bloke. Turns out you're a bloody Doctor Who fan. Oh, dear Gordon falls apart laughing at me. And I'm going, Rob, you quit. Oh, Rob's decided to have the city of death conversation with him. And that's how this, this surreal, there's Scaroth of Jaggeroth taking the piss out of me. <laughs> how weird is that? Uh. <laughs> because that was a conversation about doing City of Death and what it was like to work with Tom Baker and William Hartnell, of course. And that, but that's so you got the anecdotes in the end. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but you know, but there we are. You know, and this was of course this was two thousand and two. It was before it had come back. It was deeply unfashionable yeah. to be a Doctor yeah, Who fan. This was yeah. two jobs he'd done that he hadn't particularly enjoyed. You know, and had some very interesting things to say about. But and I said to, I pointed out to him, I said, well, you know, one of those is regarded as one of the cleverest scripts ever written for Doctor. Mm -hmm. Really, really, you know. And he'd forgotten that it was Douglas Adams, you know. But he was the script editor, and then because of course at the time they perhaps weren't. It wasn't that clear because mm. David Agnew's name was on all the rest of it. And of course, a few years later, when he's doing the commentary, he talks <laughs> in very sort of respectful terms about it, of course, because because um, on the record. Um, it had become sort of uh, fashionable again, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But there we are. You say it's a, it's a case in point. You you know you can be you can you can be so frequently laughed at and by by people who don't understand it, for whom it is just a silly old load of nonsense. By your you family, know. your friends, your peers, all yeah. that kind of thing. Funnily enough, Doctor yeah, yeah. Who was an entry level thing for me into mm -hmm. Douglas Adams, amongst countless mm -hmm. other things. And there were several words as well that I'd asked my mother what they meant because somebody had spoken them. In Doctor Who, or historical figures, for example, Sarah, or or times that had been mentioned, the Battle of Bosworth Field, and all that kind of stuff. Doctor mentions the Boston Tea Party, and it happens all the time. New series and the classic series, so it has sort of 
partly educated me on things that I probably could never have been bothered to look up myself otherwise, which definitely informed me in that respect. I mean, all this talk about about people's opinions and about whether they matter or not. I think we have to say that, of course, other people's opinions matter because that what that is what drives people to to stream or to download podcasts. And we wouldn't have an audience, would we, if it wasn't for for you good people who want to hear what we've got to say. And that is how it works. You know, I I listen to podcasts too, and that's why I go to them. I want to hear what those particular people have to say about that particular subject. Or sometimes I just want to hang out with them for an hour, hour and a half because they're sort of they're my friends. They're the friends that live in your ears. You know, that's the thing about about podcasting. It's sort of my most basic most basic form people do ask me why do you listen to podcasts at all you go why do you watch the television why do you, why do you read why do you do why do you consume any form of media i think it's it's strange i believe that in great britain that podcasting has taken quite a long time to catch on there are successful podcasts there are mainstream podcasts too but generally speaking i think because as the british as a as a, a people we kind of believe in keeping your hiding a light under a bushel really never mind your opinions why do you want to shout your opinions out for all to hear like that they they think it's all about ego and don't get me wrong some of it i think to to own a mic and to do this you've got to have a bit of an ego of course you have but it isn't all about ego at all i think it's all about connection conversation and and sharing and a lot of the topics that we've covered just in this conversation today but just to round things off i wanted to to ask you now, would you uh, start with you, Sarah? Somebody who came to the show okay. in the in the mid noughties again, coming to this show, and you think to yourself, "Okay, you were you weren't a child, but you weren't an adult. You didn't have all these responsibilities and all the rest of it." But do you think that your life would would have been different in any key way had you not discovered Doctor Who back in in the mid noughties? Would it, has it changed you as a person? Do you? Yeah, I'm definitely a lot more confident. Um, you, know, like, you know, I wouldn't be doing this. Uh, I think I, I don't think I would necessarily be as intelligent. I, I'd definitely be more insular. I think. I think one of the big draws of doing this is you get to talk to lots of different people from all different walks of life, and you know, I've got friends everywhere. I've got friends in America, in Canada, you know, Martin. Tasmania that I never thought that would be possible um, so yeah I suppose it's kind of broadened my horizons because you um, could have just latched on to Doc Martin for example or Inspector Morse yeah, fine could, shows yeah. you know but would they have changed um, your life I don't think so no and, and you know and it, it, it's come with me because you know I've got kids of my own now and they're Doctor Who fans um, it's just yeah I raised raise them as fans and um, it impacts them as well. I mean, um, and I, I think that's really important. I don't, I don't want to go into another topic, but I think it's really important for boys, especially to have this role model. Uh, girls as well, but um, you know, the doctor's unique because, you know, he uses his wits, his intelligence and not weapons, like unlike Star Wars and things like that and Marvel and DC. So it's it's pretty unique in that respect, so I do think it's good for kids, to, you know, to be able to see that and relate to that. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, it would have affected me personally, um, and I, I just wouldn't have as much fun. I'd, you know, I'd be doing something far less interesting. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, so that's you... my boys, you see, yeah. You, oh. as, long as, I've known, as long as I've known you, Sarah, you have promoted, if you've not promoted Doctor mm. Who as such, you've used Doctor Who to promote other things mm. in your family life to get your children creatively playing and cooking and doing all these things that some of which you have to usually sort of drag children to do. That's certainly been my reading of it. Yeah, it's uh, I've just got loads of happy family memories. And, you know, and you wouldn't have got that with something like EastEnders or Corrie. <laughs> um, but, yeah, again, it, it's this multi-generational thing. It, it, it's, it's just something really special about it. And, uh, yeah, it's lovely to have these moments. And I, I don't think I would have got them. Or they, would, they wouldn't have been quite the same, I don't think. Is that is that true, fish fingers and custard? Is it actually? It is custard in that bowl. No, that that is a cheese sauce. But we did uh, try it with custard. We did get uh, some. Did it work? Uh, it did. It, it was. It wasn't bad. It wasn't. I don't think I'd have it again. Um, and the biggest thing is, I won't. I wouldn't have my wonderful friends. I wouldn't have met you, Dan. Yeah. Who I've known for nearly seven years now. Oh, okay. I wouldn't have met you. Simon, I would have nope. met you, Stephen, uh, you know, Charlotte, no, Charlotte no. and everybody no. else. And uh, yeah, it would. my life would be much less interesting, I think. <laughs> Mine too. I, I do often wonder if I'd be a drastically different person. I think, that, I, think I would be. I think a less, I would be. A, a, a not as good person? What, in what way do you think you would have been different then? I think my moral compass would have been entirely different. In what I way? Think, mm-hmm. I think that I found my way into the creative well i found the creative side to myself and expressed that largely through doctor who i remember scribbling down doctor who characters not just drawing them but actually cutting them out and putting the daleks and the mavellans into battle by attaching pictures with sellotape to my bedroom bedroom wall and they were literally a battlefield on my bedroom wall and i think that got that got me i wasn't interested i wasn't so interested in action figures to be honest we couldn't afford them so I think that's what it was. I bought precisely, I had one Star Wars figure bought for me, precisely one. And I used to have to draw my figures and cut them out and cut them out and put them on the walls. But that was only the beginning. It, it carried on and it carried on and it carried on. And it was always Doctor Who that was the, um, the uh, source of it somehow. But it was the same for you, Simon. Well, yeah, I mean, in many ways it was. Uh, I, I, I know for a fact I, that, that, that Doctor Who, my love of Doctor Who, um, sparked my creative side, the, 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 my fascination with, with a, a, a creativity. I'm not in any doubt about that at all. Um, I mean, it, it even affected me ultimately professionally. I'm not really in much doubt about that either because... I can remember it was reading specifically, really, it was reading Doctor Who weekly. Um, uh, uh, and then as it, in the early days of the monthly, when they started covering the production side to Doctor Who, that I first started, learned what a director was, what a producer was, uh, what a script editor was, what a designer was. Um, and it was reading that stuff in Doctor Who magazine and of course, I was reading Doctor Who magazine because I loved Doctor Who so much that I, I know watching the program and reading the magazine just gave me this fascination about I want to do that. I don't know what it is I want to do <laughs> because I haven't quite discovered. 
I don't understand what it is yet, but whatever it is, I want to do it. Um, and, and I can really clearly place it down to the leisure hive. Watching the leisure hive just absolutely blew my mind from the point of view of, right, it crystallized me. That is what I don't, I still don't know what it is, but I know that that's what I want to do. And it was narrowing it down eventually, writing to the BBC. I wrote to the BBC for the first time, not long after the leisure hive was on, asking for a job. Uh, and I remember getting a leaflet back from BBC Pebble Mill with it. Well, these are some of the jobs that you could do. Camera man, because it was in those days, it was definitely cameraman. It wasn't camera operator, cameraman, designer, costume, so on and so forth. And it's through that I discovered, oh, no, what I want to do is direct. That's what it is. That's what's fascinating. It's directing. I want to direct. And ultimately, I did. For, for 20 odd years, I directed television as a career and that still informs my career now so no doubt whatsoever Doctor Who changed my life it's as simple as that I wouldn't have got I'm not really in any doubt at all I wouldn't have directed if it hadn't been for Doctor Who um, and then going on from that obviously on a personal level to echo what Sarah says all my best friends are Doctor Who people mm. um, and so personally yeah it, it affected me enormously in that i spent so much of my life talking to friends about doctor who interacting with friends about doctor who doing stuff with friends about doctor who writing articles whatever it might be and so <clears throat> enormous it not my life is drastically different if doctor who had never come along i honestly don't know what kind of person i would be but it certainly wouldn't be this no no doubt about it no doubt. What a frightening thought. How about you, Stephen? Yeah. Well, you know, I think um, Simon said earlier that, that, you know, his first human memory was Bok. Mm. My first human memory was that sea devil burning through the door and John Pertwee looking at it. Um, about simultaneous with that is the only um, residual memory of my grandfather who died, I think, about a month after that. Um, I don't think the two incidents were related. Um, but uh, he was so terrified by it. No, it, and he used, he used, I just have this memory of him being at the front door, and we had this sort of frosted glass front door, and he used to wear a bowler hat, and it was, uh, the image of him taking his hat off, well, like Mr. Ben, <laughs> behind, the, behind the glass. But that's the only family memory I have that might predate that terrifying scene from the sea devils so to ask what life would be like without doctor is like asking what life would be like without i don't know you know the sideboard in the lounge that was always there yeah. <laughs> there, there i can't remember a time before doctor who um and as soon as i was aware of it it was something that that fixated me and obsessed me and always has um, and has led, as I've said, to you know, branched out to so to so many, to many other uh, other areas. My fascination with literature pretty much came from Doctor Who. Get, getting interested in in nineteenth century literature through through popular stuff like Sherlock Holmes, or obviously H. G. Wells and the Time Machine. But then you know, the 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 Victorian Gothicism of Charles Dickens, etc. My my love of Shakespeare was no doubt fueled by by the fact that the doctor often used to talk about I mean, the planet of evil i remember i remember that 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 in when that extraordinary jungle set and, and he quotes from romeo and juliet because we were listening 
to what he said because we were so bewitched by by this character um we were hanging on his every word those of us who had those sort of minds if doctor who hadn't been there um i i imagine that the world outside of my imagination wouldn't wouldn't be um it wouldn't be a different world without doctor who um maybe i would have got into those other things without doctor who no but it's like it's like the turn left story isn't it <laughs> maybe it would have been the world would be in a far more disastrous place we, who knows we, who can say but uh, all the way along the line i mentioned earlier my very oldest friend still in touch with him he's a lecturer at liverpool university jonathan o'brien who had the radio time special and is now um the same age uh difference as he was at that time between me and him which is a little bit little bit tiny bit He's actually a tiny bit younger than me. But again, at each stage of my life, there was always a lad or a man who became my close Doctor Who friend. And the most recent one was a man called Mark Elstop, who's one of my closest friends. And one day, a couple of years ago, he rang me up first thing in the morning and said, I know you've taken a bit of sabbatical from acting for a while, but Nick Briggs is looking for an actor to, to play the first Doctor for him. How would you feel about me putting your name forward? And I said, let me ring you back tomorrow. I'll have to think about it. So that's the, mo <laughs> the most recent influence, of course, which is why and how I've managed to, to, to connect with you three people, anybody else who happens to be listening. So um, its influence has been profound and um, continues to be affecting me. I, I didn't know if I was, I, I, for various reasons that I won't bore anybody with now, um, I'd taken a break from acting for certain personal reasons and was wondering if I was going to go back. But I saw that, well, if I, I remember having a conversation with Mark not long before this phone call. And he said, well, I said, well, if I came back, you know, I wouldn't just want to take any old thing. That was what he said on the phone, you know. And he said, you know, he didn't want to just, just take it. What about, what about playing Doctor Who? <laughs> um, Your friends know you, don't they? Your friends yeah, sometimes know, yeah. they know us better than we know ourselves sometimes. Yeah. But there we are. Yeah, you know, it's, it's an impossible question to answer, isn't it? About a parallel universe. Well, I also think, I do think it's quite a scary question as well, but simply because, as I say, Doctor Who is so important to me personally and obviously to all of us. And I, I know I would be a lesser person without it. I, uh, I would certainly have a lot less enjoyment in my life, I think, because Doctor Who just still brings me so much joy. There is still so much joy to be had just from sitting down and watching an, a, an old episode that you haven't seen for a while. I found so much joy with the new series of just waiting, even though it still didn't it set my world on fire in the same way that the classic series had it still meant something to me and i still wanted to engage with it and i enjoyed it and it meant a lot to me um and at the time i was watching it with my young niece who was just getting it she was about sort of six seven eight nine she was getting into it for the first time and so seeing her same as you sarah seeing her fall in love with with rose you know she just worshipped rose um and so seeing that new generation getting the same love out of it that I had, that's just enormously satisfying as well. So I think it's a scary thought to think of a world without Doctor Who. It is it's just the world is better with Doctor Who in it. I mean, no doubt about that at all. No doubt. 
the uh, the conversations surrounding Doctor Who, they're bound bound to continue, aren't they? Whether it's talking about stuff that's 60 years old, 50, 40, 25 years, it's just going to continue to rotate and evolve as more fans get inspired and enjoying this quasi-religious world, universe that we inhabit that seems like it's changed all our lives, largely for the better. And I think this works individually and collectively too when we connect however it is that we connect in in the in the modern era and however we experience doctor who whatever rate that we experience it at i mean i'd like to think that when doctor who comes back in the all new era and achieves great success again for a third time we we hope that certain things will be observed and they'll be, they'll learn from okay this worked then and then it worked again then it should work all those things but the nature of how it's consumed is likely to evolve and go international and not just sort of same day but exact same time for the first time so too so that's probably going to change everything as well but things have always changed with technology i mean the very first thing i ever googled was doctor who as soon as i got online the very first website i ever visited was the official bbc doctor who site and uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, the very first podcast that I ever downloaded, I, actually, I actively sought that out because I wanted to hear something that was centred completely around Doctor Who. And whether you do broadcast your views to the net or, or not, or whether it's just to a forum or a Facebook group, it could be to a group of people in the snug at the pub, or maybe even just your brother, your sister or your best mate over a, a dairyly lunchable in the schoolyard, Sarah. Doctor yeah. Who, Doctor Who did that. It got us conversing, connecting, sometimes ranting or raving, but more often than not, we'd be, sooner or later, I think we'd be laughing, even if we'd be arguing, we'd eventually be <laughs> laughing and we'd be thinking and loving it all. Doctor Who podcast day is for the listeners and the creators, the speaker, the talker, and, and those who, who are taking it all in too and feeding it back to us. It's by the community, for the community. Doctor Who reaches its 60th anniversary on the 23rd of November, 2023. Who knows what's coming our way aside from those three specials that we keep hearing rumblings about and that all-new era that's to, to come afterwards. So much that we don't know. And so many kids, hopefully, are going to be uh, captured by it all over again. We can only hope, can't we, Sarah, that maybe in 20, 30 years' time, when other kids get grabbed the way that the Ninth Doctor and Rose grabbed you, or whether it was the way that the Third and Fourth Doctors grabbed you guys in the 70s, hopefully the magic will happen again. And we, in all these decades in the future's time, these conversations will continue. And maybe people will still be talking about you know, uh, the Aztecs, Inferno, Genesis of the Daleks, having these discussions, having these arguments. The twin dilemma. The twin dilemma <laughs> and Delta and the El Delta and I the Bowman too. I knew you were going to get it in. You can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> I. It, it could be said. It, it could be said that I'm obsessed with that story. <laughs> I think it could be said. With, what with Delta and the Bannerman? Somebody's got to be. Is he? Is he? Do you know? He is. Do you know the parallel road to my road here is called Navarino Road. <laughs> I wonder if who wrote it. Malcolm Cole. I just wonder if he lived nearby. You know, <laughs> Maybe. Where did the name come from? Well, 
on on bombshell on a, on a, on a, on a, on a more culturally uh, respectable note, I, the first thing I ever bought with my pocket money that wasn't sweets was the uh, my my oh, first wow. ever novelization, wow. thirty pence. Yeah, in the January of nineteen seventy-five. That was the first. Happy first days. Happy days. Um, yeah, lots, yeah. Lots more memories it, to be it shared. Was then, it goes on now. Wonderful. Yeah. But again, those books getting rediscovered as well. All of it's getting gradually rediscovered. I feel that the classic series is more alive than ever. The new series is available to watch and to stream in more places than ever. And when all new Doctor Who happens, that's getting its own global streaming platform. People have just haven't got any excuses anymore not to watch Doctor Who. That is the old girl starting up and calling time on yet another edition of Type 40. I'll be back soon with another one. Look out for that wherever you found this. Now, it could have been a dedicated home feed for Type, Port- type 40. That's at type40.podbean.com. Maybe we rolled up on the podcatcher of your choice. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Google Play, Amazon Music, all those places. There's the Podbean app itself. That's so easy to use. Even I can use it. We're on YouTube, the world's largest streaming platform here on the Type 40 channel, where you'll find dedicated video editions of every single podcast now. I'm happy to say, along with our sister show, Type 40 Live, that weekly magazine format, Doctor Who live stream, completely raw, completely live, literally live, where anything can happen, anything can be said, and often is. You can get all of that on the Type 40 channel too. We're still on the fabulous Fandom Podcast Network's Master Feed. Of course we are, loaded up with all those other treats for your ears. Never mind on the weekly. It's coming to you on the daily. So please consider a trip sideways in time for more quality shows from the FPN. And maybe you'd like to uh, reach out to us at Type 40. You can do that through our social media, Instagram and Twitter, at Type 40 Doctor Who, or you can email us, Type 40 Doctor Who at gmail.com. And if you're feeling particularly brave, if the mood takes you and you fancy doing some real-time, extra-dimensional chit-chat, step over to the Type 40 Facebook group. That's where you'll find regenerations worth upon regenerations worth of Doctor Who fans, classic fans, new fans, and everybody waiting with bated breath and clenched buttocks for all new Doctor Who. So you can come... That's a very vivid picture, Stephen. Come and swap your theories with other companions in the Type 40 Facebook group there. This has been the Type 40 Doctor Who podcast day special for August the 9th, 2023 another thing to celebrate in the doctor who calendar let's have some social shall we so sarah do you are you tweeting are you grabbing what are you doing at the moment and where are you doing it i thought you said grabbing then i'm not grabbing anything (laughs) (laughs) she left a very nice tweet recommending people watch the death of the daleks um uh, yes because although i'm not officially on twitter i keep them i keeps my eyes on it you know, you? Just, oh, right. Yeah, okay. Okay. Yes, I do. Nice. I, I do very get nice. the promotion yeah. out there. Yeah. Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter at Starry Eyed Who. Uh, I'm also on Facebook uh, as Sarah Graham. Um, and I've just updated my bio so it does say my alter ego, Starry Eyed Girl, so people do know who I am. Um, <laughs> yeah, come, come and have a chat. There you go. How about you, Simon? Where can people get in, in touch with you? 
Well, we've talked a few times this evening about the Hoonatics, and we're still out there on Facebook. People still sometimes message me and say, how can you have been around since 1987? Because Facebook didn't exist in 1987. Uh, but we are, we are now on Facebook. Uh, and so come and find me on Facebook under Doctor Who the Hoonatics. Who could resist? And, of course, this Stephen Noonan, too. He may not have a social media presence, at least officially, but you can hear him as the doctor over at bigfinish.com. So there's these out already, brand new box sets, several adventures of you out there writing wrongs throughout space and time there as the first doctor. There's the Outlaws and the Demon Song and, of course, the Big Finish. They're part of the 60th anniversary. That's going along at the moment now. I think we're three or four releases into Once and Future and yeah, I can't wait to hear more. And thanks, as always, for your company, everybody. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter as The Spacebook, where I'm wheezing and groaning and ranting and raving about all things geeky inside and outside of the TARDIS. Mostly, I'm still all in for all new Doctor Who. We, I do hear, hear and see the odd thing now and again, which make me think, and you will get all of that too over on my, my social medias as I wrestle with this, this third coming of Doctor Who, Sarah. It is, it's getting closer. We're four or five months away as of time of recording. Everything to play for. At the end of the day, I just want to see it grab the audience again. And, and that's that's why I'm continuing to keep my end up as they say, kind of, I've gone carry on film now. But I do, I do <laughs> keep our end up and, and keep supporting the show, keep talking it up. And then, you know, we get we get what we get. It's out of our hands. That's how I look at it. And we can just respond in the way that we always respond here on this show with with honest, open reviews, our genuine opinions, and whether we whether ranting or raving. We're always doing it. I think with, with our hearts in the right place, that spirit of community, communication, creativity, and a genuine want to share with one another and with everybody out there too. So, yeah, thank you, everybody, for your company on this edition of the show. These casual shows, they're fun, aren't they? I think we should do more of these as well, Stephen. What do you reckon? Great. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Get involved with Doctor Who Podcast Day. Whenever we've dropped this, there could be a few hours left. Get tweeting the old hashtags. Get on Instagram and share this show and any other show that you see that's using the hashtags too. Maybe sample them. You could find other podcasts to drop into your rotation, more conversations that you didn't know that people were having and more opinions that could confound or delight you or maybe even both. That's what Doctor Who Podcast Day is all uh, about. We always have the time if you have the space here at Type 40. But that's it for this time. Off we go. We'll speak to you all again soon. Hashtag DWPD, everybody. But yeah, remember, get involved. Speak to you all again soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>